This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Spartan 117. Welcome to Quality Time, the KO Koala Entertainment Podcast. Anthony and Skyler will take it from here. Master Chief, out. Hello and welcome to Quality Time, the Kale Koala Entertainment Podcast. I almost forgot the name of our podcast. I'm Skylar Sokol. I am Anthony Nicolosi. And today we have a very, very special guest. You want to give us the rundown, Anthony? Super special, Dr. Jesse Thomas. Uh, brilliant Xbox, you are chiefess herself. Um, we originally, I originally found out about Dr. Thomas, Dr. Thomas, Dr. T. Does anybody ever call you Dr. T? No, no. Dr. J. Dr. J. Dr. J. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I first found out about Jesse because Jesse was a, the, is the creator of the Halo Insider program. And when the 343 launched the insider program. I was actually part of the first waves. I was in there and they had some like blogs, some development blogs, if like for this, for the community to um, take in that were, were describing the insider program and all of the great re- you know findings that were coming out of it. So that's where I initially found out about Jesse. And then from then on, she was a superhero. I was like, Oh my gosh, We'll talk about it. We'll get and into that, and the then, whole And then you found out about her again when she called us out on Twitter, right? That's the second she, time you met Jesse did not call <laughs> us out. Hey, Jesse, I asked for feedback as a good <laughs> user researcher that I am. I, I, and I'm guessing I, I provided because that's how I roll. <laughs> not only did you provide, which I actually at the time took to be awesome. Yeah, you know, it was great. Apparently, it's a thing in the game industry based off of Twitter, but you know, the what's it called? The imposter syndrome that's oh, involved yeah. with like, we're doing a gaming podcast, but we've never worked in the gaming industry and we're just trying to make it. So, when you actually, you know, responded back, I was like, damn, that's so cool of her. I was like, that's so nice of her. I, I was scared. I was terrified. Yeah, you were like but the first real game industry person to ever talk to us. So, yeah. <laughs> oh well, I'm sure there's gonna be. I mean, you've already interviewed some really cool people. Yeah, Not that I'm cool. totally, I'm totally unbiased there, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we get too far into it, do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Tell us about what you're doing, who you are, whatever else you want to say for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I am, I am Jesse Thomas. Um, I have my PhD in neuroscience, um, kind of perceptual neuroscience uh, in particular. Um, I have been at Team Xbox for about six and a half years now, and which is funny because that it both feels like I've been here forever, and and also that I'm still this like tiny child who's <laughs> learning how to have a job. Um, so it's like both at the same time. Um, but yeah, I I um, I love gaming. I I come from all different kinds of gaming, so I, I'm really into tabletop. I do a lot of D and D. I play a lot of D and D. Um, but I I've always enjoyed just play and and discovering and connecting with others through kind of the joy of play. So um, there's a lot that kind of drew me into wanting to work at Xbox. Um, some of it was just kind of serendipitous. But yeah, I, I've been here for a while. Um, I've worked on numerous titles. I worked on uh, Killer Instinct. I worked on Microsoft Solitaire Collection for a while, wow. which is a totally <laughs> fascinating, different area to like work in. 
Um, I then kind of transitioned into working with 343 Industries, who it's just an amazing studio um, filled with really fascinating people, um, really passionate people too, who really care very deeply. Um, And then just recently within the last year, kind of mid pandemic, I switched teams into uh, the Xbox design system team. Um, so I'm, I'm now kind of on the like platform side, um, which is, which is a whole new set of challenges. Um, so are you responsible for this great new dark theme? My team is, um, so yes, I work with awesome designers, um, that, that are part of those things when you're seeing like the colorblind filters or dark theme or like a ton of new settings and accessibility features and all of these things that kind of connect our whole ecosystem so it's not just the console now it's you know xbox isn't just a box anymore it's it's this whole ecosystem of mobile apps and pc apps and yes still the console obviously we still have a lot of love for our consoles but Xbox is so much more like gaming is, is everywhere now. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, we were talking, we talked a little bit actually with Randy on the podcast about cloud gaming. I mean, the yeah. future, yeah, uh, they, uh, Satya, I think in the Ignite conference was just like talking, you know, kind of ta- alluding to the metaverse and all that stuff. I mean, Xbox going beyond the Xbox already <laughs> is a thing, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's going to, it's really going to go beyond Xbox. Oh, yeah. Um, right on. So before we get too much, I have questions like about almost everything you said there. You mentioned the serendipitous entrance into Xbox. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit? Because you, your education, your PhD, and on LinkedIn you have your your PhD studies. You were just talking to us about it. You investigated the functional properties of the human primary auditory cortex uh, yep. using. FMRI, you develop new methods that provide functional maps of human uh, auditory cortex. You also, in your profile, it's pretty obvious like that you love music, that you you talk about singing with your head. So I, yeah, how did you, was your tie into music by chance, anything like involved with you being interested in neuroscience and like, yes? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh oh, geez. So I, I am a science enthusiast. Let's just call it that because I've bounced around so much that um, I've kind of done all over the place. So when I was at University of Michigan, which is where I went for my undergrad, um, I entered a lab that studied circadian rhythms, which Mm. is kind of like, you know, when you fall asleep and you wake up, sleep and wake cycles, your hormones that are tied to that. There are genetics that are associated with that. Um, I studied these tiny little animals called dagus, which if you don't know what a dagu is, think like a chinchilla, but like shrunk down. I love they're adorable. <laughs> Sounds like um, Scott would love this thing. Mm-hmm. They're super, super cute. Um, you know, most rodents are nocturnal, but dagus are diurnal, which means they're awake mm. during the day, um, which is rare. So they're fascinating to study. Um, then for a little while, I went to University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, um, where I worked as a lab manager and was studying kind of like the concept of shift work. Um, so it was more kind of hmm. circadian stuff and hormones, but I got to like help build a lab, um, which was fascinating as well because it was in a veterinary medicine building. So I'd be like walking down, going to work, and there's a rhino outside. Or there's a cow. Or there's like a pig walking down the hallway. And you're like, cool, cool. Amazing. This is not the way it works. Really? 
Yeah, it was super wild. Um, Note to self, we need a, a lab of our own, Skyler, when we get some real estate because uh, we need pigs. We need pigs in the hallways, man. Pigs, pigs will bring you joy. That's all I have very, to say. Very, very smart. I would They're very that. smart and cute and adorable. Yeah. Um, but then I applied to grad school um, and I got into University of Washington. And for my first couple of years, I studied bats. Um, and I love bats. I have a thing at work where I say hashtag bat facts because I love bats. I, I decorate my house with them. They're amazing. I'll talk about bats forever. Um, but I got into kind of auditory neuroscience. Yes, because I am a musician. I play oboe. Um, I almost went to school. For, Double for read. Little... Double read, man. Yeah. So Get it. It's true. Um, Loved it. Uh, so I've always liked music, but yeah, it that led into bat stuff, um, <laughs> and then from there, um, why? Because I they're so auditorially, you know, minded. I don't know if that's yeah. They have right super way to... weird brains um, hmm. that are like all about hearing things. So, um, like the whole back of their brain is is just for sound. It's huh. it's totally different than ours. So it's fascinating to study. That's oh. really cool. Yeah. Um, and then I want to say something like, oh, I had a moment where I wanted to do more human application, <laughs> but real talk, I got pregnant. Um, and it turns out, um, when you're growing a human, it's not great to be surrounded by bats. Um, <laughs> oh, bad. they're cute, but they're not necessarily like the cleanest animal. As we, as we have learned it very, re have you been sad by the stigma bats have gained through the COVID pandemic? I mean, like, so sad. So sad. Because bats are amazing, guys. They're amazing. They like, yeah, I could talk about bats for way too long. So you don't, I don't, that's a okay. dangerous door okay. to open. But um, but we will just say we do not support the shaming of the bat name right. via the no COVID pandemic. Shame. No, yes. we don't. Yes. Don't bat shame. Um, <laughs> Yeah, then I moved into a, a human lab um, studying visual perception and auditory perception, and they used fMRI or functional MRI, magnetic resonance imaging, um, so that I could look into a brain and see what it was doing over time. And then we did some encoding and decoding algorithms, which is a fancy way of like, can I tell what you were listening to when you were in the scanner? Interesting. Um, based on Could what you? Your yes. Ooh, like how yeah. how how good? Like uh, like what different things were you playing I'll find for a resolution. them? Yeah. yeah, like I can tell you're listening to rap right now, or like I can map your brain signals to a song if we have some data on the song and map. Yeah. So I did some simple songs because we were trying to see can I decode each note? Oh wow! At, that you were listening to and rebuild oh. the song. Like, oh, can I just by yeah. scanning your brain and I have this map of what your brain's doing? So you can imagine, like, imagine you have a piano inside of your head. So in your primary auditory cortex, it's organized by frequency. So mm -hmm. the frequency of each note you're listening to is a different area of your primary auditory oh, cortex. Good. So, smart way to do yeah. that anthony and yeah. i are both musicians by the way so we're super into into any talk about music yeah so yeah you can basically make like a map and then if you track activity in the map you should be able to decode the song right and so we did like really simple songs like twinkle twinkle little star and somewhere over the rainbow um and we could actually go and rebuild the song like i i could take people in there and i could be like you were listening to this and the algorithm was remarkably accurate like wow. we, we generally could figure out which song folks were listening to but not only that we could actually rebuild the song note by that's note sick. <laughs> that's crazy what that's amazing yeah 
pretty cool. Good. I'm happy people are out there do- working on that, not the <laughs> stupid stuff I was doing at school. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, so. Wait, so okay. how did that become Xbox, right? Is yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily... Oh, yeah, that's right. That's where we started this. So um, I was finishing up. You know, I'm getting ready to graduate. I have, like, a two-year-old at the time. Um, so I'm kind of thinking through, what do I want to do? And I had a postdoc lined up, which is a postdoctoral position. Lots of people, after you finish up grad school, you go and do one of those. It gets you more research experience. You kind of connect with a different thing. And I had a really nice one um, with some really awesome folks, like, lined up. I was ready to go. And then my friend, Christy, who was in the lab um, next to me, who we worked with a lot, she was like, hey, you uh, you ever think about going into the industry? And I was like, I, oh, I don't know. I've got this postdoc. It's going to be great. She's like, no, no, no. It's going to be fine. I want you to talk to this guy named Randy. Uh-oh. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh, okay. And I don't know why. Like, I was interested and I wanted to present well because I just love, I love meeting new people. And Randy sounded really interesting. Um, and I don't know why, but when I first met him, I didn't process that this was like an actual like job conversation. I, I processed it as like, Christy wants me to make, meet this cool dude. Sweet. That sounds fun. Let's go do it. Um, and so I did. And then I, I realized like midway through this conversation that I was like, oh, this is like, this could be like a real thing that I do. Um, and yeah, it kind of, it kind of happened from there. The pieces all connected That's and awesome. I interviewed a couple months later. That's so That's cool. awesome. Yeah. Randy uh, was, uh, I, I was w- really scared to talk to Randy, you know, based off of his title and obviously all the things yeah. he's accomplished before. Um, and he was super easy to talk to. It sounds like you had a similar experience on that first time talking to him <laughs> i i definitely do yeah it was it was such an interesting moment meeting him um i you know i come originally from the midwest i am on the taller side um so i'm five eight and okay. in heels i can easily hit six foot um oh, and, and okay and randy's on the short the shorter side not short but shorter please don't kill me <laughs> boss if you're listening but um <laughs> So I, I like came in and and he always wears these like really colorful glasses too. So like oh we just... saw his glasses. He showed yeah, us. Yeah. The show They're awesome, to right? Us. Yeah. So every time like when I first met Randy, like you ever meet those people and you just look at them and you're like, you are an interesting human. <laughs> um, and you haven't like totally processed why, but the, I get that a lot. I'll see people and I'm just like, I need to know everything about you. But he was <laughs> one of those people. Um, and yeah, we kind of kicked it off from there. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. So you just, you come in right out of school. Huh? Randy's cool. How do you get started? Like, yeah, what's what does the he first tell thing you? you did? Yeah. Because was... from, from what Randy was explaining, the user yeah. research team is the user research team and mm-hmm. you're not necessarily immediately deployed to a studio per se. I mean, like the, it sounds like there's a little more finesse there around like studios have requests for resources like how what happens when you come out of school so yeah i was straight out of school so let's set the tone here i've never had a real job and so that is critical because even just (laughs) learning like how to use outlook for work was like a learning curve for me (laughs) um so that was that was very very different um there's i'm super thankful for this team because because it is so many people who came out of academia who came from different areas within the industry you know, they've really built up this kind of training regimen that you go through um, and you get handed these like things like, so you want to learn about playtest. Here's like a giant chapter that you're going to sit down and learn about playtest. 
um, or usability or kind of some of the standard methods that folks um, in user research and particularly in games user research, they've developed and they've refined over time, you start getting training with that. And we actually had classes, um, which as a grad student, I was like, sweet, this feels right at home. Like we're going to go right. to classes. Um, we're going to understand what we're going to be doing over time. And then you kind of um, you kind of go through your beginning steps and usually like your, your goal, your number one thing that most folks do in their first year is you got to do what we call a benchmark play test. And mm. so it's a it's a very standardized play test that we usually have on a game that's either getting ready to ship or it's just shipped. And you kind of go through and we're collecting all this data for our massive database where we can compare you know, folks' ratings for different aspects of the game. Mm. Um, and that was one of the first ones that I did. Um, it was actually a Forza game, um, okay. which was great. Um, which, by the way, Forza today's Horizon launch 5. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Launch yeah, yeah. Day for Forza Horizon. We, we have a few people in our community are huge Forza people, yes. and they're extremely happy about Five, so. I never, I've never ever played a Forza game, and then I watched a YouTuber I like play Eliminator for a while, and I was like, "This looks kind of fun. I could maybe get into this." Totally, totally. Yeah, I got to do a shout out for for JJ and Deanne and Yasa and Taylor and like all that really hardworking UR team that works on that um, because Forza, it, it's incredible, um, incredible game. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean Horizon in particular. I, that's yeah. Those open, uh, just the scale of testing that you have to do to make sure you nail something like a Forza yeah. Horizon, right? Like nail it as good as they nail it. Um, anyway, that I, I often, I there are some things where I was like, maybe if I could build up this list. And one day I met a genie, and he said, yeah, and I could ask. Let me go to any game studio, three game studios, let's say, mm -hmm. and I get to ask them anything. I want and learn about something. Um, yeah, for if I got if I went to Forza, if I went to, well, in this case, it's Playground, right? Playground um, does mm -hmm. Horizon. For Horizon um, yeah. If I went to that, I would be like, okay, how do you guys? What's the? You, there's got to be some algorithm towards I don't know automating whether geometry is going to cause problems when people are driving around the world. I don't know. There's got to be something. There's just the scale is too huge to do manually, right? <laughs> It's a good team, a team that does their research yeah. and they, they invest the right way. Yeah. Let's be honest, though. If you had a genie, you would just ask three questions about Halo Infinite. Come on. <laughs> well, I first question I would ask for infinite questions. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, not Halo so Infinite genie, questions, just infinite questions. He's He got trapped. <laughs> yes. And then I could ask the Halo and the Forza yeah, yeah. and the Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right on. So the, the I, I actually am curious, how long did they give you to learn? Because you... We have this thing at our job where it's like people to come in and they're just like thrown into yeah. production. It's just like get in there and learn while you know in the middle of yeah, the yeah. fire, firefighting during the fire. It sounds like you had a bunch of resources to learn and play test within the first year. You said like, yeah, I don't know how. It's a mix. So like you get you get support and you get going, but like yo, you're you're working at Microsoft. You're working at Xbox. So like. It's it's there is right. expectations right, too, right, right, right. Um, but you're supported, and I think that that's the big part of it is is and it still happens. There's tons of stuff I'm still learning um, or relearning, and and you know because I've moved on to a different area or I focus on a different technique for a long time, um, and you'll go really in depth on that technique, and then I got to relearn it 
because either we, we use a new tool or we learned more insights. And so I, I kind of feel like I'm always still learning and I constantly have to go back. Like if I were to run a play test today, I'd probably have to go back and like relearn certain aspects of it and relearn various parts because, you know, our tools have changed or our insights and our KPIs have changed. What we want mm-hmm. to target has changed. So always learning, which I know is like the cheap answer, but it's super true. <laughs> okay. No, that's what, when you say technique, what does that entail? Learning a technique? Is that sort of the holistic process involved with evaluating something or? Um, I think especially in any, any tech field, any tech field, right? Tech, it changes so fast and so rapidly that your approach that you would have done before, like not only is it just like, oh, I'm, I was using this tool, now I have to use this tool, but oftentimes new functionality or um, new focus in different areas causes you to, yeah, rethink your approach, rethink what you want to do. Um, you know, other things that'll come up that that we didn't pay attention to before. Um, if, especially, you know, we think about, we have a lot of focus on accessibility. I can tell you when I first started, like I was not sitting down and making sure that all of my tooling was like accessible for the test. I was not paying attention to that stuff. I had to learn. I had to get awareness. I had to be taught how to do it properly. I had to make sure that I had tools that supported that. And all of that's come online kind of more recently where now it's, I, I can't imagine not thinking about my work and thinking about accessibility, right? Like they're, they're so intertwined and so I, I look back on like my the work I've done my first couple of years and I was like, oh, geez, I totally would have done this differently or I would have mm. you know, paid more attention to this. So it is it's it's kind of you're always updating and, and paying attention to your approach. OK, huh. so did All this right. this like folk this first play test stuff, this first education, did that lead yeah. you onto Killer Instinct or did you do other stuff first? Because I, I feel like the timing seems to match up if you were that been there for six years for it to be Killer Instinct pretty early. Right. Killer Instinct was pretty early, so that was my first title that I was assigned to. Um, and it's usually kind of how it goes, right? Like you get a couple of play tests, you do a usability here and there, you get a feel for it. And then really, especially in XR, we care about matching you up with a studio that like fits you well and an approach that fits you well, kind of mixing it together, right? And um, Killer Instinct was coming up on season three. It was the right time. It was a good time for me to join in. And oh, so yeah, it was already season three when you joined. It was. Okay, it was. Okay. They were just wrapping up season two, I think. They had like a couple of DLC characters that I think came at the end. Um, and then we were going into season three. Okay. And yeah. wait, and how many seasons were there? Was five the last one or something? Really? I think just three. Three? Was um, it three? I can't ones. remember. Yeah. <laughs> but three, we kept adding like more characters. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So it just lasted a long time. And so Skyla, what did you, what was your position on the on Killer Instinct? Like what did you what was what was your job? Yeah, I was their user researcher. So I w- I was the one that was kind of guiding a lot of it. We've teamed up with Iron Galaxy, so there was like a team that's on the Xbox side and then there's a team that's on the Iron Galaxy side, and I would kind of, you know, run the playtests, run the usability, um go go and see what's working, what needs tweaking. And because it was season 3, like some of their stuff they had figured out, right? Sure. Like they they know what kind of game they are. They got that right. locked. Um, they generally knew what kind of characters they were going to do. But my role and the the questions that I would ask would go all over the place. Like sometimes it's doing some new mechanics. 
sometimes it's, hey, we've got this new character. What do, how, what do folks feel about that? Hey, they have some of these moves that we're incorporating. Is that going to work well? Um, one of the big areas that I focused on a lot was combo assist, which if you've played mm-hmm. Killer Instinct, combo assist is, you know, we draw a lot of parallels to Forza, where it's the assist to kind of help you get through those combo moves. You know, it's not always easy on a controller. That, to kind of put that was the- that extra mode, right? The the one you could turn on that let you like do one button rather yep. than doing the, the normal fighting game motions, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it... it, it you know, we went back and forth and we tested it. Like, how are folks going to resonate with this? Is this going to throw it off? Are they going to say that it's like easy mode? Um, and in reality, like, it made the game so much more accessible to For so sure. many more people um, that, yeah, it was, I frankly, I think it was a huge success. It, it let people play together who normally couldn't. I will tell you, in modern fighting games now, we see like almost every game having some sort of auto combo based system yeah. now, even like at the core mechanics for everyone, not even like a toggleable one anymore. So mm-hmm. clearly those kinds of systems are working well for at least newer players to get into fighting games. Yeah, it unlocks the fun for it, right? And and here's the, th- like there's this kind of concept, especially in certain kind of more history games that you have to earn your fun, earn your fun. You have to, to prove that you're allowed to have fun by showing me your skill. <laughs> and like, that's great for some people. They're super motivated by that, yeah. right? Like they, they like the competition. They want to get in there. They want mastery. They want to prove that they can dominate, but like not everyone's like that. Like sometimes I just want to go in and I want to be a badass orchid and I don't want to learn every single thing. I just want to sit down and have fun. Right. Um, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah, I would fighting games. The data justifies would say that majority of people are like that, probably. Right. Like the, the casual audience has got to be bigger than the the super hardcore competitive one. Generally speaking, I would think it's maybe funny. I'm wrong. It's funny because I I I always get, I get this a lot because I got this on Halo too. Is that that concept of casual audience? Um, and we use those terms all the time, right? We'll right, say right. like oh, hardcore versus casual or, or like this thing <laughs> or that, which is always funny because like when I'm having fun, I'm not sitting there going, am I having casual fun or am I having hardcore fun? Um, usually yeah. I'm just saying, am I having fun? Um, and kind of going back and forth. So it's, it's, I've seen people who are casuals that play every single day. Does that mean they're casual? Interesting. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, just right? because they're using accessibility mechanics or whatever doesn't mean that exactly. they're like a less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and fighting games are notorious for being like some of the most like tribal knowledge sort of based games where like if you can't do a quarter circle, you shouldn't be playing the game or whatever, right? So, I, yeah, yeah, I could totally see how that's like a big deal for fighting games, especially. And mm-hmm. yeah. Now, on your. And, and we'll kind of spill into Halo on this one, Skyler. So if you want any other killer oh, instinct should, should questions, last second killer Yeah, do you got anything else in killer instinct? We might never come back. Okay. Can we just <laughs> talk about like really quickly like the audio design of the ultra combos and how that's cool and how us audio lovers think that's super sick? <laughs> so first of all, audio designer Zach on that game is amazing. Amazing human being. Um, I don't know if you would like learn about any of the Foley that went into that game, mm. but it is I want to now. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating. Um, oh God, the team's going to get mad at me, but you know, our like, um, the ring girl and I'm forgetting. Yeah. Her yeah name Hisako. Right She's like one of my favorite characters. Hisako. Yes. Thank you. She has that like <laughs> noise. Yes. Um, those are taco shells. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> the coolest thing. Yes. Um, there's just tons of really amazing audio design in that, as well as 
Um, even the menus. Have you ever listened to yes. the menus? The, yes, I showed stuff? Anthony the menu because I was like, you're going to love this when I scroll through the buttons and it like plays I'll melodies. I used to sit there and just be like, like all yes. day just listen yes. to it. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Killer Instinct, I, I, I think the only reason it wasn't like one of the most uh, successful, like popular fighting games in the fighting game community was just the limited platform support. That was like the only issue that it had. And everything else about that game is like one of the best fighting games that's been made in a while. So it's a great yeah. game. Right on. Okay, well. This speaking of great games, that's when you say speaking, speaking of, of great, great games. There you go. <laughs> um, so this, but this might play into the Killer Instinct experience. I'm sure it, on your profile you talk about establishing data cultures with mm -hmm. teams. Okay, so after you put that, I'm like, okay, I research what in a data culture entails. Let yeah. what would you say when you are saying I'm going to go establish a data culture with a team? What concretely are you trying to achieve there? Yeah. So <sighs> over time, the concept of data has gone, it's become this really weird thing, right? Where we as humans, we like numbers, right? We like having numbers and, and values assigned to things. Um, but that, but understanding what those numbers do, what they're telling us, what they're related to, um, how valuable they are, like that's stuff that takes time to truly understand. You know, in, in, in grad school, and when you talk about statistics, we have this concept of effect size. And effect size basically means like, oh, I found something, I found this like significant thing. Well, that's that's cool, but like how powerful is that? What does it actually mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so you get this influx of data and you may have heard the term like big data, big data, and you've got a lot of folks. And there, if you want big data, <laughs> Halo has got some big data. Like <laughs> there are a lot of people that play Halo and there are a lot of you know responses and data points and all of this stuff kind of coming in all at once. When you work in those studios, like you have to imagine what that's like on a daily basis, just hearing all of these opinions and all of these responses and all of this data that's coming in all the time, all the time, constant. It can be really overwhelming, super overwhelming. Um, and you often can find folks that, you know, they have this concept of weaponizing data. And that's another thing that like all fields have too is, is you want to talk about biases, confirmation bias is a huge one there, <laughs> um, where you'll go and they'll find data that like, oh, well, that was my idea. And look, I found data that supports it. <laughs> um, and that's not right. really how it's supposed to go. It's really supposed to go, oh, there's this data and I think this is coming out of it. But a data culture and having a healthy dialogue or healthy approach to data is that understanding what is noise and what is insight takes time. Um, but also understanding that even what is classified as noise is still a real human on the other side. That's right. still someone who had a feeling and feelings are valid. Even if like they may not be using the words that you'd expect them to use or the approach that you're expecting them to use, it doesn't mean that they didn't experience that feeling. And so you can't just necessarily shut them down either. And so a data culture is really transforming numbers and Reddit likes and posts and that overwhelming stuff into dialogue, into a concept that it's humans sharing information with each other, humans having a conversation, humans sharing their emotions, their reactions, what works well, what doesn't work well. It's that transformation. And I tend to find that taking and demystifying data and and moving it into hey these are humans 
it's so much easier. It's so much easier to have a conversation with a human than it is to look at a giant chart full of data. Um, and so it's it's about bringing that there and, and breaking down this kind of like scary wall that that can occur when you're just flooded with all that information. I was that just seems... I'm just, yeah, go, go ahead, Scott. Oh, I was just gonna go say ahead. I was just reading your posts on the Halo Infinite flight blogs, the stuff you said about the like flight data, and I saw how you would in a lot of the bullets you would put like a, a human statement, like a dialogue statement to represent the data and I that like directly relates to what you're saying, I'm sure, and how you try and present data and how you try and show people like what data means is like through dialogue and that's really cool. Yeah, I, I it's funny because I, I realize that my title has been user researcher for a long time and or, or UX, you know, user experience. And it's funny because um, recently my title just moved to design researcher or just research. Um, and I, I, I am, you know, people who resonate with the UR title, I think that's great, like nothing wrong with that. But it's funny because even there's a distinction between user and human, right? Sure, and, right. And that's I, true. I, I want to help humans. I want to help people. I don't necessarily want to help a user, right. if that makes sense. A user right? is like, like oh, a business cool. relationship, right? Whereas like a human is a much, it has a deeper personal connection. Yeah. There's a huge difference between a human and a consumer right. or a user. Right. Um, you're so much more than a consumer. You are so much more than that. Um, and so it is, it's important to capture that humanity. Yeah. No, that's cool. It also sounds with the amount of data that you get for a game like Halo, I'm thinking of the Halo Insider program because I've, like I said, I've been in it. I've been in it since the beginning. I'm so proud. I at the very beginning when we were doing the MCC test, the the play groups were so small that like I got matched a few times with like Bravo who was in there and like what like studio people, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Anyway, um, you got there's so you said big data. Halo's got a ton of big data. How I'm I'm thinking the format of those surveys, you get some multiple choice questions. Mm -hmm. And actually, I swear there was a blog post where you described how like doing it, formatting questions that way got you better data and was got, got you better participa participation in those surveys. So you have some questions like that, multiple choice, yeah. but then you do have like open-ended qualitative feedback. How mm -hmm. do you, especially that qualitative one, which like the thing that Skylar's talking about, those blurbs, I'm imagining yeah. those blurbs came out of those open-ended, you know, just type in whatever right. you want. How do you, like, do you, is there some machine learning that goes on or something that's like trying to um, deduce patterns in the feedback, you know, like, uh, yeah. and, and, and find, I'm thinking of those like word graphs, you know, where it's like this word gets used a lot like or word these cloud. Yeah. word cloud. Yeah. Or are you yeah. just control Fing for various keywords and you just, there's like, no this way. Results for there's that no one. way. This like, there's thousands, there's ten thousands of like <laughs> people. Um, okay. So, so first things first, like I, 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 we started with the MCC insider program, right? Cause MCC was kind of the first one that was examining this, you know, the concept of flighting is not new. Like there are, there are, there are teams that have been doing flighting or coming up with flighting programs um, for a while now. And, and you know, I look to my colleague, um, Joe Chisholm, who was doing it with Rare for Sea of Thieves. Um, but when MCC was doing it, you know, there was, there was the concept of flighting, there was the concept of doing that stuff. And the thing that they were really interested in is how can we build this into a program? Like, like it's one thing just to put the bits out there and, and collect stuff, but building it into a program is really important and really valuable because again, it's humans on the other side. Humans need help um, kind of going through that. And so um, at the time, I had kind of been like, hey, you know, I, I really like this program side of it. And I also did a lot of what we call telemetry analysis at the time. 
Um, so if you're familiar with telemetry, it's those hooks that you put into the code so that it can you know, send signal and you can have some measurements of what was going on in the game at the time. Um, so because I was doing some telemetry stuff and because I was like caring about this program stuff, you know, I worked with a team um, just to be super clear, like I while I brought a lot of uh, the MCC stuff into the Halo Insider program, like I by no means am the one who totally made the Halo Insider program. Like it takes an entire team because it's such a massive effort. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so when you pull those data points in, you know, they have an entire data insight team at Halo um, that's that's filled with data scientists and data analysts, and they have to 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 pay attention to all that stuff. And then the the user research team is also a team. There are multiple user researchers on working with 343. Um, okay. And you have to because it's such a huge space. Um, but as you kind of go through and you do those surveys, yes, there are techniques that folks can do to kind of read through and pull out keywords. I will tell you, because I am that kind of person, I legitimately read every single line. Wow. Um, I don't encourage everyone to do that, but I am one of those people that just gets, I'm just a curious person. Um, and I do read fast, which thankfully that has served me well. Um, but I, you do, you kind of, you build up patterns and ways of analyzing this data. Now there are like really fancy tools now that help support this and makes it a lot easier. Um, but especially when we were first getting started in like MCC Insider, yeah, sometimes it was me like control F and read through those things and code those lines along with some of the survey data. That's okay. amazing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is not, yeah, because I just. I need hobbies, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, it is really what? interesting to read like individual responses to things. Even the surveys we did for our place testing with like, you know, 20 people. It was so yeah. interesting to read every response. And it's hard to not want to like see what every single person said because there's always slight differences, even if they like mm -hmm. share keywords. Right. Totally. Totally. People also rate very differently. Right? right. So you'll find folks that are that they they live at the extremes, right? Like, oh, I loved it. This is the best thing ever. I hated it. I hate everything. I hate life. That's Anthony like, for sure. The the extremes. <laughs> or you get a lot of people who are like, meh, it's pretty good. Or meh, it's okay. And so you'll find folks that have the same themes. Like if you read through the, the open responses, you'll get the same themes coming out, but the ratings would be totally different. Um so so you kind of have to like figure out the pattern of how do those things interconnect and, and what what is what am I really seeing in this data? What is the pattern that I can pull out? I mean, man, wow. I mean, from my perspective, I because we are actually conveniently, I'm in the middle of doing this like systems test at work. We have this mm -hmm. product, we're evaluating its performance in various circumstances. We're collecting this data and you know, me and my manager, neither one of us have any data analysis experience. Every time we collect data, we're like, oh shit, you know, we should collect a variance of this data like this, and then that will really tell us, meaning it feels like you can always have more data, you know, and like that it's the, in, in, what you're inferring from that data could always be better, you know, how do you stop, you know, like how do, is it just a resource reality where it's like, you know what, the, I'm sure executing a thing, something like a flight for Halo is a serious business investment. Like that's a, there's a lot of money that goes into the engine, the resource, all that's the resources necessary to execute something like that. It's just like, you know what? We can't just roll, do these infinitely. So right, we're right. going to go with what we got. Like, how do you, you stop make, yourself? <laughs> you have to make smart choices. And, and a lot of that comes with, you know, I'm, 
I'm sure I'm supposed to say something really smart, like, oh, yes, I did a power analysis, but blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and be real, like, you start to develop what I what I just call research gut. And, and, yeah. and you check that gut and you have to, you have to check it constantly. So like, you can't, you can't rely on it all the time, but there is value into, Hey, I've got enough. Um, and you, you start to figure that out over a while. Uh, um, you, you test something or you'll do a survey and you start to realize where that number is. And after you go past that number, you're realizing, again, we go back to that concept of effect size, that the effect size isn't changing anymore. Like I'm still, mm. that's the insight. That's the insight. That's the insight. It's still the same. Now you have to make sure, did I get the right audience? Because if yep. you didn't, then like, yeah, you're going to get the same wrong answer over and over again. So make sure you check that. Um, but you, you, you know, this is a business too. Like those designers need that information. So I can't sit and wallow too long in that data. Like I got to go through, I got to understand what's important. What do I think is noise? What do I think is like valuable to to where they're at in production right now, to where what they are currently building? What's the thing that's going to help now? Um, and then what's the thing that I, I'm going to look at later? Like, hey, this is what you need right now. I'm getting some signal on some other stuff, but like, let's just focus on this. Because again, humans, designers are humans. I know sometimes we like to forget that um, and, and think that, you know, developers are just code monkey robots that, that build happy experiences for us, but these are real humans. And in the same way that like, I don't want to overwhelm them with, oh yes, here is a 900 page report on every single thing <laughs> I possibly could find. Um, no one's got time for that. <laughs> like, plus no one, how, do you know how scary it is? I mean, of course you guys do because you're, you're developers, but like how scary it is to put something up there and then have people be like, sit down and let me lecture you for two hours on every single thing I found wrong with it. <laughs> that's awful. Like, that's not good for anybody. Um, so you got to find the thing that's going to make the most impact, that's going to help the most people, and that's going to, like, support the development of the game in the best way. Um, so, yeah, you got to make smart choices. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it, it relates to something Randy talked about, actually, the consolidated gaming insights tool, I think is what he called it. It's like something where like research you guys perform for maybe for studios, like in something intentional like this in the flight, or maybe it's, I don't know, something else where you guys initiate a research for something you think might be mm -hmm. valuable. And then you find stuff and you consolidate it somehow for the rest of the organization to consume. Uh, I was telling him, uh, you know, I, I feel like based off of the research PDFs I've read over the last mm -hmm. year, uh, that's not really as I don't know many other engineers who like read research PDFs. It's just not necessarily like formatted in a way where you can easily like you can really infer the right thing even mm -hmm. out of the data without being like trained and thinking that way. How do you got uh, like the amount of work that it must take? um to synthesize the data for people who are not trained to think about it must be significant yeah. um uh it, is it it's a mix so you've got folks that are i mean especially 343 is a super well-established studio right like they know what's up they know how to look at a chart and how to like decipher it and they know they know what they're doing like they're they they are used to this approach and going through it but it's never an assumption that a researcher can make. And I, this is actually a huge beef I had with academia in general is like, <laughs> we were always wondering why academia, like, why don't we have enough funding for research? Uh, because we make it real boring. Like, I'm going to be honest, we don't really make it fun. 
Um, and, and it can be tough, which sucks because research is fascinating. There's stuff that's in there that's super, super cool. So I, um, I tend to be at the extreme where like, I want to keep things robust, but if I have to bust out a hand puppet to explain data, <laughs> I will bust out a hand puppet. I will make videos. I will do dances. I will do whatever it takes. Interpretive dance. Sure. Like I've I done know. that. I yeah. now understand why MCC got fixed. Like <laughs> I, I see why three four three was so successful in. I mean, the, I, like really, really, really when when uh, three four three when it was Sketch and Bonnie came on, they had like this this live stream. Yeah. You know we where they were know like, that stream. "Yes, we're we are going to tackle MCC." Yeah. Um, when it was followed by that program, I myself was just thinking like, oh, yeah, I, I actually personally never had that many technical issues, thankfully, with MCC. But when they were doing it, I was like, oh, shit, you know, yeah, this is legit. We're going to we're going to fix this. Um, and the super talented team. So I want to be like the developers on that team, the challenge that that team has to face of, hey, NBD. But like, could you take a game that was developed like a while ago and now make it applicable on all platforms and it has to feel good and it has to feel like it's <laughs> modern but not too modern because it's still got to feel retro but could you make it look nice but not too nice because that <laughs> takes me out of the experience like I, a, a lot of that credit has to go to them like most of it because it, it's not just the fact that they were open to feedback but they embraced it entirely like they they thrived on it um and they they really just put put their heads together and made just incredible, incredible approach to fixing that game, fixing, but like updating yeah. it, putting in the things that they needed to do. Um, so yeah, I, I, it takes a talented team that is ready to consume that data, that is hungry for it, that wants to make those changes. And they did, they did. Yeah. It, the results kind of read, I was curious, you, I think you answered this. I was curious as if, if you felt that 343 sort of had a data culture already kind of chugging before the insider program started or if that was sort of the start of it but based off of what you're saying it sounds like the insider program like you said is a, put some structure around what they had but they were very much already of the mindset of uh i don't know taking actions off of insights from data and all they that totally, they have a huge i mean xbox research and halo have been together since day one since the bungee days like they have, they have been connected. Randy, Randy goes OG, man. Like it, it's the way <laughs> that it is. So they have embraced that culture for a long time. I think the difference is a lot of the times that was in the labs. It was here. Mm -hmm. It was in our building. It was with closed doors. It was protected. It was safe. And a lot of these big franchises that have gone on for years, like the, the need to keep things locked down and protected and, and develop, you know, behind the glass, like, like keep it back mm -hmm. here. Um, is kind of the standard way of doing stuff. What flighting programs do and the shift of that is actually we're gonna start talking to you about what we're doing. Like like think back to prior Halo releases. Right. You know, you may you may have had a beta moment, you may have had something like that, but the conversations were a little bit different. And MCC was the like the team that wanted to embrace that. Like they leaned in and they were like, you know what? The game's been out there. Like we, we, we can already have conversations with our audience. We were already having conversations with these folks. Why not try an approach where we're kind of like co-developing with them, right? Like they're in lockstep with us. They're having those conversations. And that's where it started. But that's scary. That is super, super scary to put yourself out there like that, to say like, 
hey, we're going to open this door and we're going to let you see what's going on. And that team went all in. They went all in. They were like, we're going to show you the development blogs. We're going to update our progress. We're going to tell you what's working. We're going to tell you what's not working. Do you know how scary that is to come in and be brave enough to say, hey, this isn't working? That's really, really tough. But the funny thing is, is once you, again, bring that human element to it, Mm -hmm. not as scary. Humans are not as scary when you just have conversations with them. Yeah. Um, When they're not just like a mob of Reddit users who are there to tell you that, like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think the community team, I it, I think that it was around the time sketch started. I mean, the community team just navigated that so well, you know, um, I mean, they continue to I, I have a lot of respect for the 343 community team. I think they do a really great job. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I, I sat with the community team. I have so much love for sketch and for Uni, I, um, right. John Unishek was like my, my halo brother. So <laughs> I were like, connected at the hip for, for a lot of that work um, going through and just an incredible passion that they bring every single day um, to what they do. They're always listening. They're always paying attention. They're always like really trying to craft the best experience. And it's, you know, I learned so much from them. I learned so much from them. I would just watch and understand like, how did they communicate? How did they pull those things um, together? And it, it, it did, it helped me be a better researcher. Right on. Yeah, no, that's okay. So did you, um, I'm imagining that if you're in this, in the insider program, so you guys run the flight, you get some insights from it, you mm-hmm. get your not 900 page report over to the design team. Right. Um, I'm assuming eventually that translates into tasks on the mm-hmm. backlog, you know, mm-hmm. for the, what, did you see that there was, I don't know, uh, over time, maybe an increase, I, maybe there was just buy-in from day one, but was there an increase in like sort of respect for the insights as time went on? Like as the program kind of proved itself more and more, not, maybe not really. It's, that's such an interesting question. It's funny. Cause I didn't, I don't really think about it that way, but I, I can see that. I think there definitely was nerves in the beginning and, and I think that's going to mean you're going to find that in any game studio, in any approach. Like I said, flighting is still kind of a new concept for a lot of people um, of like, oh, my God, we can build a game with the community like together at the same time. You know, there's that fear of um, are you chasing opinions and and chasing opinions can be scary because you can lose who you are. Right. Like it's it's good to listen to your audience, but you don't necessarily want to boil down Halo to a point where it's not Halo anymore. Right. It's Mm -hmm. still got to be Halo. Um, and the team cares very deeply about that, about keeping true to who it is, but evolving, right? So how do you write, how do you do that balance? Um, and, oh my God, do you know what just happened? I totally lost my train of thought. No, I, it was, um, yeah. It was something real good though. Oh yeah, 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 wait. Um, were they nervous? So so I think when you go through, it, it is that concept of, you know, what's this going to be like? Now, testing the game, they were super used to. We've been playtesting, they've been right. teaming that up. But the difference is between playtesting versus flighting, you know, how would that work? How would they connect? How would they speak to each other? And so I think over time, it took a while to understand what are the benefits of that process um, and collecting data that way. And I think there's an amount of, like, them becoming comfortable and trusting your team and the, like... Yeah. You said, I mean, if you got puppets in there and you're doing stuff, I mean, I think your, your perspective, uh, I don't, uh, where you feel, you know, it, uh, being assimilated into the team probably is, was pretty easy. Uh, we were talking to Randy. He was saying like, nobody wants, 
you shoving your PhD in their face, you know, and no. and saying like you got to do things this way. Puppets sounds like that is definitely not happening, and thus makes it I don't know, like you said, makes it more human. Like uh, if, if from the if you, if I'm an engineer, I'm just thinking if I'm a software engineer and I have some we're prioritizing the backlog for what I'm going to work next sprint. And you yeah. get these stories in from user research, right? If you don't like user research, they're arrogant, you know, they're what on top of the chasing trends problem, you have like, what's you have a team. What's the intention of the team? Like, are they really, do they get halo and all of this stuff? Um, yeah. That, I don't know. So that whole, yeah, it, it, you, you th as it went on, you think probably the nerves kind of died down a little bit. The intention became clear for her. You want to, you need to set up a relationship with, with the people you work with, like no matter what your field is, it does it, it, if you're a researcher, if you're coming in, um, having that conversation and I'll be honest, I had a lot of imposter syndrome, like hardcore because, you know, I, I had played Halo obviously, but I was not the like, oh my God, I live and breathe for every aspect of Halo and meaning like when I, when I first found out, they're like, so my manager came to me, Dan at the time. And he was like, so we're going to move you to three, four, three. And I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> I, was, I was extremely excited. This was Halo Wars two is actually the first game. Um, oh, okay. I them. um, but, but it's super like, it's this beloved franchise. It's known so deeply. And, and then you come in and you're like, oh, it's not just, by the way, this first person shooter game, it's a collection. And by the way, we have a st strategy game and it's a whole franchise and there's books and there's lore and there's like, imagine basically walking in and being like, so you're going to be the researcher for Star Wars. Ready? Go. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> um, it can be super overwhelming. So you got to take the time to really like, invest in the franchise you have to sit down like i, I started getting all the books um and, and going through that which is funny because you know joseph sat and worked like down the hall so i'm like walking around with the book he wrote and i'm just kind of, <laughs> um feeling how that how that went but they were super welcoming and and really um supportive through that process but i did i had imposter syndrome and yeah i had some of those normal fears of i gotta be honest i i'm a woman and I was scared. I was scared of, hey, like, less so on the studio side, but 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 more so like if the community finds out that I'm the researcher, like, how's it gonna go? I don't know. Um, and there, like, real talk, there were some bumps in the beginning of, you know, I had a lot of people kind of calling me out. I had I had people they would look up my gamer tag, which is, you know, I have multiple gamer tags um, for different reasons, but they'd look it up and they'd be like, oh, you know, is she qualified to be the Halo researcher? Um, <laughs> and that. Scary. Yeah. Um, it was scary yeah. at the time. But the other side of that too is is any researcher or anyone who's passionate about what they're do, they're gonna they're gonna spend the time, they're gonna connect with the people they need to connect with, and they're gonna get up to speed. And I had a ton of help. So I got there, I was well supported, the team was amazing, and then you just kind of fall into it. So it was easy to start making some of those relationships. Um, did I have bumps along the way? Absolutely. Like I remember I walked in. On like my second day, I was like, oh, I'm going to look professional. I got this fancy dress on. I'm in full makeup. I got heels on. What? And I walk in and everyone's like, you know, they had just finished in the playtest labs. They had just gone through. They all know each other. They're wearing t-shirts and like, they're very comfortable with each other. It was very more, it was much more of a family atmosphere than what I like 
I walked in all professional and like day two, I was like, give me some black t-shirts. Let's go. Like, I'm gonna that and be, like comfortable for me. Um, but yeah, I had to, I had to learn. Right on. Okay. So you, uh, how do you, is there a notion of like, is there like data dogma that maybe happens in some of these studios? So like, for example, in Halo, where it's like, we have an insider program and people who participate in the insider program are more halo fans than the reddit people like is there do you, mm -hmm. how you know what i mean how do you it's one thing if the insiders are telling you something i'm sure it's another thing if the reddit crowd is telling you something if twitter crowd is telling you something and if, and then yeah. there's the whole context of or like for example like youtube is does does the how synonymous to the team for example are like content creator audiences right so like if a if a lore channel um post something you know that 343 just some story update in the lore channel posts it and gets great you know reception do you does the studio how how much does that translate to the studio coming away with we're doing good by the lore community you know what i mean yeah i i it and this is applies to literally any studio so so it's it's it doesn't it's not necessarily a, a 343 thing it's it's all studios have right, this. Right. um it is helpful to have a community team a data science team and research team as well as a marketing team that all are used to what those signals look like right so that kind of interdisciplinary approach helps you understand the strength of signal going in one way or another and every game audience is different there are certain games that like that reddit reddit audience like represents a huge portion of their people right. there's other games where like yo it's the same five people saying the same thing over and over again um so like that's that's gonna be different too again those professionals you learn to understand what that lens is right like you you learn let's take youtubers for example right because they're doing two things they're offering their feedback they're offering their insights but they're also trying to entertain right. and be interesting of course right like that's that's the thing they're trying to do and there's nothing wrong with that but i as a researcher need to pay attention to okay Here's what they're saying. Here's the lens that, that that they currently are applying, and I need to pay attention to that. So, oftentimes, what you do is you kind of you use multiple sources. You combine insights from lots of different fields, and together you can start to see that story. You can see the system and the pattern that's going across. But it takes a team. It takes a lot of people working together. I'm curious. So one thing relating to this, like whole synthesizing feedback from different communities and what that looks like one issue that i've seen um like a lot of public discourse on and i noticed in your halo infote blogs you talked about you don't have to talk about how it relates to halo infinite in any way but something we've talked about on the podcast before that i think is a very controversial topic is skill-based matchmaking and Ooh. um i know this is sort of like bringing us you gonna me in trouble with Menkey because really <laughs> no i love i love skill-based matchmaking i think anyone who thinks it's bad is not thinking it doesn't have the right perspective on on matchmaking matchmaking algorithms in general and like competitive multiplayer matchmaking is really interesting to me and so i'm just curious like what your thoughts on skill-based matchmaking are and like the research you've done on it like does that because like the loud people in the community are like we hate skill-based matchmaking because we want to like stomp our matches or whatever at least a lot of people were like when they added it to Fortnite or whatever so yeah. like mm -hmm. I, I i'm just curious because a lot of your feedback at least for halo infinite was we want skill-based matchmaking because it makes matches better so like what i don't know what's your what's your opinion on skill-based matchmaking and how that has like evolved from like a research perspective 
Here's the thing with skill-based matchmaking. It's real fun when you win. It's real <laughs> not fun when you don't. <laughs> um, and, and really, that's what it comes down to. What's my job as a researcher? It's to help identify areas that are blocking fun and maximize fun for the most people as possible. Right. Right? That's, that's what we care about. Um, so is it to ensure that um, a select group of people have a lot of fun poning noobs? No, it's not. It's to make sure that the most people possible have an enjoyable moment. Now, is it super fun to go in and just like demolish people? Sure, super fun. Um, do you sometimes need to set boundaries around that to make sure that the people who are getting demolished are yeah. okay with it? Yeah, like that seems fair. Um, and so for me, and we did do, you know, Menke's like the matchmaking god. Um, if, if you guys don't know who I'm talking about with Josh Menke. Yeah, Josh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, probably the most knowledgeable person I've ever met for skill. I read his white paper on... Incredible, yeah. True Skill 2 or something. Yeah, yeah, true. And True Skill 2 is, is fascinating too because it, it brings in the concepts. It's a, it's a, it's a much more multi-layered approach to what skill means mm -hmm. because the concept of skill can can vary dramatically, right? Like... Sometimes skill means I am very good at moving a mouse and putting a pointer on someone's head. Right. Um, or it can mean I'm really good at running support and I know how to read a map and I know how to be at the right place at the right time and grab that power weapon, right? Like both of those are skills. Um, so the idea with, with skill-based matchmaking, again, is to maximize fun for the most people involved. Um, it's not to... to you know, block you into a lane or prevent you from having fun or doing anything like that. But in certain atmospheres, yeah, you want to keep it even. And it, it sucks to lose over and over and over again. That's not a fun experience for anybody. You also don't learn that way. Like, there's this concept that like, oh, yes, you know, we call it, we used to have this like marker in the lab. Uh, Randy might, might have find this fun. The uh, make it like Dark Souls um counter um anytime that we would hear something like oh you know like dark souls and literally a researcher will go and like draw a line on the <laughs> times um where this concept of oh you learn by failing and yes that is that is true to a degree um but it doesn't mean that you're going to learn by constantly getting beat up over and over again that's not how a person learns they learn by seeing a mistake and f knowing how to fix it um, but there is this concept that like, oh, they're not going to get good unless they, you know, go through competitive and just get beat up over and over and over again. Um, that works for certain people, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. It's just like, yo, why would I spend my precious, precious time feeling demolished every day when right. I could go eat a pizza? Yeah, I'm going to go <laughs> eat that pizza. Um, so it, it's about a balance. Cool. Yep. Yeah, that makes. Awesome I mean, insight. I, I, the last thing I was going to say when you were talking about how you synthesize the data, the, the you know community feedback across mm -hmm. various mediums, I think I came into this conversation thinking maybe a lot more of it was data eyes. You know, like you got you have it gets people feedback gets broken down and categorized. You got machine learning. You got servers on the other side just crunching algorithms all the time. I, there's just a black box and it right. just comes out and go, halo good, halo yeah, bad. Yeah, it just has a red or a green light and that's it. And if it's green, you're good. If it's red, you're bad. No, no, it's, it's a lot It's a lot of folks like us. We are the black box. Hi, hi. <laughs> yeah, box. it's super yeah. clear that it's a team effort. I'm just thinking like how, based off of what you said, how important it is for, you said the marketing team, the community team, the user research team, those are people with 
varying academic backgrounds, varying perspectives on like the intellectual property you work on. Everyone's got to like be a team mm -hmm. and it, you get, you really got to trust each other to be able to meaningfully create a picture. If you just, if you think the marketing people are crazy, then you're going to dismiss their input somehow when you're getting a feel for that. But if you guys are on the same page, if you're a team, you can, you can form yep. those pictures of the team. So that's, um, you do have to I, share before. it doesn't mean that we don't disagree. So like there, that's normal. Like you have to sit down and kind of sift through and be like, oh, I'm seeing this Well, I'm seeing this. And you have to work together to figure out what that looks like. Um, so it's, it is, it's, it's, you have to work together. Everyone's bringing a different lens. Everyone's got a different background. Um, and you have to take the time to push yourself back. And that, that is a mistake that I'll see people who are new to the industry make is they're like, oh, this is the way to do it. Um, anyone who comes in and they're super confident, like, this is the way to do it. I'm always like, mm. We're going to talk in like three years. We're going to see if you still feel that way. <laughs> um, and usually three years later, they're like, I was an idiot because I didn't consider like where they were in production or, you know, all these other constraints that they had in order to make that game. Yeah. I, this is not as kind of a tangent -y a little bit. How frustrating it, is it as somebody with, you know, so many years in the, in the industry and having that perspective, working with the teams to like see some YouTube videos who just, you know, really oversimplify the work that the team must need to, you know, must be doing when implementing this feature. Like, how did they get this wrong? Blah, blah, blah. How I imagine you might just be there just like want to scream sometimes, you know, like. <laughs> I, I So I, you know, the professional in me wants to be like, oh, yes, everyone has their opinions. But no, I get some spicy moods sometimes, trust me, um, where I'm like, what? No. Um absolutely not uh kind of going through however it is always good to kind of remind yourself that like everyone's on a different learning journey right and like i probably said very similar things when i was playing a game and i didn't know how it worked in the industry and i was post you know thinking through those stuff or posting that stuff or trying to think of like what game i was a big mortal Kombat player back mm. in the day <laughs> um and i would post some spicy takes on that so you know i those kind of concepts um, you learn over time. And so it really changes from a like into a more understanding, empathetic, hey, this is where they're at and this is what they understand. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's okay. Yeah. So cool. I, I've just, uh, as long as, if you don't mind, Anthony, yeah, yeah, I might no, move us ahead. a little further away from this. But pre-podcast, you mentioned to us you had some interesting user research with strangers stories some yes. some fun or interesting experiences you had doing play tests or some sort of research just any any highlights favorites that you have you want to tell us about how oh my gosh i have so many we um, will hear as many as you're willing to tell i'm yes. sure they're great <laughs> i so first of all like one of the other reasons why i got into this job is that i just love gamers in general like we are weird. Can we just call the fact that we are weird <laughs> and like in a delightful way, in a like celebratory, awesome way where we can really get into the joy of play and that play is something that's really important to us um, and that we like learn through play and we see the world a lot of times through play. And so you'd meet these people at conventions or at, you know, in a study or in one thing or another. And I just, every time, again, going back to like when I met Randy is I'd find these people and I'm like, you are fascinating. And I just <laughs> sit and watch you like whatever you want to talk about. Like, let's, let's go. Um, I remember, um, 
I was testing a game and some of this stuff I'm going to have to like talk that way, but I was testing a game and the experience was so frustrating <laughs> um, as they were going through it. And it was a super early build. It was really early in the process. Um, we we're testing a game and, you know, we have labs here and some of our labs are look like living rooms. Like it's intended. Okay. We want folks to feel comfortable. We want to see kind of what it's like when you're at home. So it's before flighting. It's before that kind of stuff. And he got so comfortable. <laughs> I think he forgot that he was in the lab. Um, and he was really struggling with like trying to do this one move and ended up throwing the controller <laughs> across the lab. Oh. Um, and this was like my first or second year. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> but it was two reactions, right? At first, it was like, oh, shit, this is bad. And the other part was like, but as a researcher, that's yeah. old. Like, that's the clip You're like, here. Perfect. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, oh, Bring yes, that to the directors. Show them that clip. Be like, give us money to fix this. Right. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a flip between the two. Um, I had experiences like that. Some of my favorite ones came from Halo Outpost. Um, which if you guys are okay, familiar yeah. with the mm-hmm. post, it was kind of like the, it was a traveling show. It was put together with a lot of love. Did you go? I did. I did. Oh, I, I did get go. I just, oh, yeah. it was, it was, oh God, it was really, really great. But probably one of my favorite things is you're seeing all these families. And okay. so you're seeing a lot of like kids that are going with their parents and those kids are just discovering Halo. And then they're going with their parents and like being able to see those interactions was super fun. Some of the like, the cosplay is unreal. Like, yeah, I've seen some the pictures. Oh my, it's insane. The amount of detail and like love that goes into that was also really, really great. I'm trying to think of some of my other like crazy stories. I will say not um, to interrupt I, while you think, but there is someone can. named OMG Ricky 42 in the chat who says he works with you. And <laughs> I don't know who it is, a Ricky, but is he says Ricky, he works Ricky with said? you. And he says and that you had a whole that you had a whole about meeting bats. about bats. <laughs> probably probably that's something that i would do um i do love bats so yes um so you'll have to you'll have to sleuth who that is i don't know i don't know who it is but there you go omg <laughs> ricky let us know <laughs> maybe omg doesn't want to i can't see the chat ricky but hi buddy we'll we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll convey it to you don't worry um yeah. anyway could, any uh, next user yeah. research search story let's go i had someone fall asleep <laughs> during the like game mid game playing. while they were playing like for for what it's worth i fall asleep pretty regularly to minecraft like if i am playing minecraft it is so freaking such a mood that mm-hmm. i will some yeah it's really relaxing but i don't think i've fallen asleep to any other game were they like play testing for a really long time was it like hours or <laughs> <laughs> no you know, I think I think it was, you know, sometimes the labs, first of all, the couches in the labs are like A plus. Like they're like these like really soft leather couches and we've got this like ambient lighting and it's warm. Ooh, ooh, and I was just like, this this dude just needed a nap. Um <laughs> like maybe that's just how it went. But again, I think this was in my first year, and I'm I I distinctly remember being like, what do I do? One, is this a valid data point? Like, should I write down player fell asleep? Right, 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 right. Is, is is this guy okay? Like, do I go check on him? Do I? What do I do in this scenario? Wait, um, what do we do? Wait, <laughs> do, do I poke him? Like, what? Are you okay? Um, and I, I eventually, I did like I think I did some really awkward. I got on the microphone and I was like, <laughs> and he like popped awake. 
Um, and then we continued with the test. But yeah, that was another another A plus moment in in user research. That's, that's <laughs> How do I get these jobs where I get to go fall asleep in the Xbox yeah. Research Lab? There that's you go, awesome. On the couch. I will do that gladly anytime yes. you let me know, Jesse, when you need a sleeper. I, I'm on my way. I'm digging that. A sleeper or a controller fl- thrower. Anthony could be either of those. Very good. You know, I it's. I play bumper jumper and on Halo 5, especially with all the chain mechanics, I went through three elite controllers. I got some warranties, so I technically only paid for two, but like, oh, yeah. Anthony hammers on those bumpers. I really hit those bumpers (laughs) tough. Yes. Um, Okay. Skyler, you got that that question? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Go ahead. Lead us down a new path. uh, all the rest no, of my questions are locked and loaded for the fun section. So, it, well, I, I think we can start getting fun. You know, I mean, w- there's what, since the uh, rest of this has been really serious and unfun. Yeah, now we so, can have fun. So <laughs> you feel like falling asleep? I, <laughs> I did want to ask two at least questions about mm-hmm. that are still kind of kind of work related. Right, give us so, those, and then we'll go. Then we'll go. Full yeah, fun. and then we'll get. Then we'll go fun, fun. So at Ko Koala, we have this notion of intrinsic motivation factor (IMF). Mm-hmm. So when Anthony we, coined we, term, he doesn't take credit for it, but he coined the term. I use it all the time now. It's very good. Yeah, cool. Because so we work full time jobs, and then we work our game studio stuff part time with the hopes of eventually supplanting whatever. So. IMF is super important for us because what we have deduced is especially when we have tasks where it's like kind of open-ended, there's a lot of investigation related and maybe new technology that we need to learn to do it. The lower our IMF is on a task like that, the very often the data shows we are usually take longer to get that done. Um, we usually need to like pair program more to get it done. When our IMF is higher, we get it done faster. But So IMF is something we pay a lot of attention to and we're always talking about it. I'm curious in your job, is there something that you would say is like really high IMF for you? You just love the the presentation of the data insights. Right. You're like intrinsic you motivation to. to do this task. You'll always do it. It always like brings yes. you energy. It's not like a draining thing. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. There's a lot, honestly. Um it it varies back and forth. I, I'd say this this is falling into the ballpark of one of my favorite things. Um, which is connecting with other people and talking and sharing insights and doing that thing. You know, I, I have this like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this kind of class right now that's, that's kind of a visioning class. Like, where do you want to take yourself? Where do you want to take your career? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go forward? In my like dream, if I had a, a dream path for myself would be, I want to be the Miss Frizzle of Xbox. <laughs> hey. You're on the way. I think you're on the way. Yeah. That's like, oh my God. Like if I could create a creative learning space where people could come in and explore and figure out the things they need in order to like unlock a new aspect of the game or unlock a new UX thing or, you know, understand things like accessibility or globalization or a new culture or a new approach to something. If I could create an atmosphere where folks could come in and do that, I would do that Every single day, every single day, my favorite thing is to kind of host and protect an environment where people feel like they can do creative learning. Hmm. And a lot of times in the industry, it's really hard to carve that space out. It's hard. You have deadlines, you have tasks, you have stuff you have to get done. And that's great, but we work on games and you need to have some fun. And I think creative learning and discovering a new thing, that's how you make cool new shit. Like you find a place where, hey, it's it's not by studying what's been done all the time. Sometimes it's studying like brand new things, brand new areas. 
And that kind of creative exploration, that's my jam. Like that, that what's, what's gaming 2025? What's gaming 2036? What is, is it even going to be called gaming at that point? Like maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's just life. I don't know. Um, (laughs) It's, it's that kind of stuff of, of how can I create things that pull together from other places and, and help others um, learn and discover that. That's my like, I will, I will pick up the work for that every single time. What does that manifest as right now? Like I'm thinking like 10 years in the future, I'm thinking like, oh, I just finally heard maybe the best use of the metaverse yet. You know, like, (laughs) I hope that term (laughs) stops being used like a week from now. (laughs) We'll work on a better name, Skylar, don't worry. But like, um, (laughs) you know, how do you do that now? Is it, for example, I'm thinking you were talking, you, you kind of reminded me of the academy in halo infinite so there's like this space where people can like learn and just do stuff i mean there's not as much maybe it's not like forge like uh, where you're just like making stuff but yeah i don't know yeah does Um, that manifest in your current job yeah it does so um we just on my new team on the xbox design system team um we just had a workshop and the workshop was kind of going through and presenting stuff that we had worked on but i gave a talk on systems thinking Mm-hmm. And not how it's tied to a game, not how it's tied to UX, just straight up. Let's talk about systems thinking. I would love to hear that talk because I tried to do um, research and I couldn't find anything good. Look up the book Intro to Systems Thinking by Danella Meadows. It's incredible. She's an incredible right. human being. I get to my notes um, for Anthony. Like <laughs> it's it's so good. It's so good. Um, but there there are a lot of there are a lot of um, systemic issues. Or we call sometimes call them system archetypes. And these are areas where systems can break down. There, there, there are moments where a system might not be functioning the way that it's supposed to. And going through and understanding those and what those, those are called, like tragedy of the commons is one of them. Um, policy resistance is another one. Helps you kind of talk and have conversations about the system together. It's, it's about taking those mental models and being able to share them and have conversations about them. And that's obviously, you know, I work on a design system. Um, so it's good to have those conversations, but also just Xbox is a ecosystem of products and it's all just systems, right? But building up that kind of systems thinking, um, vocabulary and terminology can help us have new kinds of conversations, ones that we couldn't have necessarily without, you know, putting a name to it and being able to, to refer to it. No, uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Uh, Yeah. Got a new book yeah, to I, add to the list. I, I know. I know. It's got a slinky on the cover. I mean, oh, who doesn't love that? Very nice. Okay, okay. Not a puppet, but we'll take a Not slinky. Not a puppet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, conversely, what is your lowest IMF task? So oh. something that gets put in front of you, you're like, damn it. Like, Randy, yeah. I'm not doing this, you know? Like, <laughs> if there was one you thing me in trouble, would... man. He's going to, like, watch this. No, 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 really what's going to happen you, is you, next you. week he's going to come and be like, can you do this thing, like, a bunch? Because he yeah, you let me it. know. I'll tell Randy, don't ever make Jesse do this again. She hates it, Randy. I hate it. I hate it. Um, as you guys probably have gleaned, um, I'm a bit of a talker. Uh, so I, I like to communicate by talking. I don't necessarily like writing, um, which is funny. So if I could storytell just by, and, and I do this, like I'll, maybe I'll record myself or I'll make a PowerPoint presentation or I'll, I'll find another way of communicating the concept. Um, that's not necessarily just writing. Um, and I, there are some researchers on our team who are just incredible 
writers. Like they, they, they can put things together and they'll write these reports that are just, they're gorgeous. They have tons of depth to them, perspective. And they're they're beautiful. Whereas I'm the like, yo, but could I just have a conversation with the guy? I can't. <laughs> um, like that's my that's my approach. Is is I, I I'm not great at typing. I'm also I'm kind of dyslexic, um, and that can make writing really long. Yeah. For, um, so I have to sit down and write. I am like the queen of typos. Um, like when I tweet something when I'm on Jessa Birdie and I tweet something, I have to like reread it like multiple times to be like, how many typos did I put in there? Did that even make sense? Um, and, and check it because yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I love stories and, and I like crafting stories, but sitting down and like, if I have to write like a really white paper, like even hearing the word white paper makes me like, uh, <laughs> 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 what about a video? <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I can feel that a little bit. Yeah. yeah Anthony, <laughs> whenever he makes documentation for anything he makes for our studio, like anything he codes, yeah. he always records a video walkthrough. And I'm like, I want to read documentation. He's like, no, here's a video. Now, I'm like, all right. I do love documentation though. So like, <laughs> that's the thing. And in fact, I'm, I'm kind of overseeing documentation for some of the design system stuff. It's good to write down your ideas, mm-hmm. but like having big, long reports, mm. that's, that's where I, no, it's true. I try to avoid it. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, I, I hate like documenting. I, I, people are going to be like, it could make some judgments on this, but like, I hate documenting our code, like creating like actual documents of the design thing. It's like, here's some high level, I, you know, notions of the architecture, yeah. the code blows. Don't make me write this damn thing. You know, like <laughs> that's how you pass on knowledge. Dad. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's good. yeah. Um, and I also asked because uh, Randy said that, researchers liked going fast on his team and they hated mm-hmm. like synthesizing the data for the consolidated gaming insights tool and typing up that report and all that stuff. So it sounds like that's, mm-hmm. that, that, that's, that's I'm, I'm definitely one of those people he's referring to. Like. <laughs> yeah, really I, uh, to your point, man, if I was an engineer with an ac- access to that data, I wouldn't like even do work. I would just read your guys's report. <laughs> insights. <laughs> Like Skyler, you hear this shit? The research team just captured this insights about the A button, man. People spam the shit out of that thing, you know? Like <laughs> uh, very cool. Okay. So yeah. we got that we got that down. All right. Um, Skyler, fun time. Yeah. So first fun question, uh organic question from your pre- your statements at the beginning of the podcast. Favorite D and D class and subclass. Oh, okay. I go between two. And they are like two very different. Are we, are we 5e here? We're, we're playing 5e, I'm assuming. 5e, okay. for sure. Um, I go between two. Um, I like I like me some rogues. Okay. I like the sneaky sneaky. Um, and then I play bards. Mm-hmm. Um, because those two are just super entertaining for me. Um, I'm not great at playing like a tanky barbarian. I'm not good at being... I tend to not be like the paladin. Most of the times, the people that I'm actually in a campaign um, with with some of my very close friends that I, we've been playing all sorts of stuff, um, I, I sometimes get called the Chaos Queen um, <laughs> because, again, I like a good story and I like to kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, and I, I play true to character, which means, like, I don't try and meta. Um, I pretty much am like, what would they do in this moment? Oh, they, they would pull this lever and a giant airship would shoot out of the thing and, and maybe we'll all die. Yep, that's what my character would do. Okay, right. here we go. Um, 
And bards and rogues tend to play well They're into They're good that. for that. Yeah, I actually, that's so funny you mentioned that. I like Chaos is like my favorite thing in D&D as well. I was so hyped when they added, do you, are you familiar with the Wild Magic Barbarian? Like, wild Magic? The, just, so there was Wild Magic Sorcerer, and then they added the Barbarian. I was like, this is amazing. I just, I just want <laughs> random stuff to happen to me at any time, and I don't want to have any control over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Okay, great. That's amazing. Anthony, you got you got one for us before I, I've got like, one. you know, a million always. So. Well, actually, I was going to have – so when we uh, – we, I, th- I think we alluded – yeah, we alluded to it earlier in the podcast. When we first reached out to you, it was because we did these, po- these episodes, these quality time episodes where we would read a list of cognitive biases. Mm-hmm. First, we would just based off of the name guess what they were. Yeah. Then after that, we would read the definition from Wikipedia and then we'd be like, okay, so based off of that description, like a one sentence description, uh, we're going to infer that maybe ga- it would impact game design this way, you know, and we would say whatever. But And then when we reached out, I messaged you on Twitter and asked for your feedback. You replied in a super professional way of just like... Maybe you should have a neuroscience break down the effect of the cognitive <laughs> bias first. And, and and thus, we have never done an episode like that again because I was like, I don't want bullshit. You know, like, I don't oh, want to no. just like, no, no, I want to make good. shit up. Anthony, Anthony has many radios going in his brain at any time. So so short definitions make make us go on wager tangents. And then we just, you so, know. <laughs> I love it. But uh, we thought it would maybe be fun to, to like, do – Try one of these. Now that we have a neuroscientist on the podcast, <laughs> so you did break down for us earlier before the podcast that you're more of a experiments testing more than like uh, I don't know psychology what, what, focused psychology. Like, yeah. Okay, yeah, I am. I'm so so like there's neuroscience and then there's psychology, and I'm trained in neuroscience, which means I did like your organic chemistry, your physics right. classes, your biology classes, your I took a lot of math, I, uh, uh, that kind of stuff, which is different than psychology. Um, they are obviously related. They're they're kind of connected, but but the level and um, approach is different from from what you go through. So like I work with some amazing psychologists who'll be like, oh yes, do you, are you familiar with this theory of social affect, or are you familiar with this? And I'll be like, no smart person, please tell me. Because <laughs> um, but I can tell you that when your brain hears boops, it does this. So like that's that's my, my side. So gotcha. do you have a cognitive bias that you that you are interested in or maybe just some way the human brain acts that's like weird yeah. or instinctual that you think is really interesting? It doesn't have to be like an official cognitive bias. Yeah, I will go back to that one that we talked about before, which is confirmation bias, because I think that that is one that we encounter every single day. Every single day we have confirmation bias and and we live in that world, right? Like we constantly forget that our reality is being created inside of our heads. And, and that's, that's important to remember, right? Like it's, it is hard. We kind of look around and we're like, no, this is what happened. And it's like, I understand that that's what you perceived is having happened, but you don't actually know that that happened. Right. Like, right. I don't mean to get all like matrixy. No, no. <laughs> we love this shit. Anthony, I, I talk about this kind of stuff all the time in private. But this is, yeah, but this is super true. Like, if you think about a good way to think about this is with like visual illusions or auditory illusions. And there's illusions where you're like, that, what? This is totally happening. And you're like, no, it's, it's not at all. Um, and there's a ton of those that, that folks can, can use in reference. But that idea of confirmation bias, of finding something and being like, ah, uh, yes, this, this confirms my idea that I was going through. No, you're actively looking for that, right? Like, right. you're actively out there 
Um, red car syndrome, right? You see a red car, suddenly you're seeing red cars all right. over so the place. Red oh my cars gosh, ever. this is actually happening to me right now. It's this like type of new paint or something they're putting on cars that's like less glossy. And my wife's telling me, oh, they're doing it more often. I'm like, I swear, this has got to be some bias that we're seeing it all the time now, right. you know? It's probably tied to it, right? So like at some point, if we think, if we want to get, all right, you guys want to get neuroscience oh, we'll yeah. neuroscience Okay, yeah. at some point, you made an observation and your higher functioning went through and was like, ah, oh, that is an interesting observation. Let's make note of that. And make note means that you had some neurons in your head that linked up and started sending signals to each other. And that started to get reinforced. And that can get reinforced in a couple of different ways. You have these little things called dendrites on your neurons that start linking up closer. It can send more signal going through, which is usually done chemically or um, through electrical signaling. And that gets strengthened. And when that gets strengthened, what that means is the next time you see that, you now have this pathway that's ready to fire. It's just there okay? waiting for that for that paint yeah. to show up. <laughs> exactly. So it's like your own little cells having confirmation bias being like, I told you you saw that. Yes, I did. Um, and so, again, puppets. Um, <laughs> there it is. That's the puppets. We so see it now. <laughs> It starts getting more primed and then your lower level brain areas and your brain stem and your visual cortex and your auditory cortex start reinforcing that. It starts pushing it up there and saying like, mm. yo, you're seeing this, you're seeing this. Um, and and designers and folks know that, right? Like they start to yeah. pay attention to that. They'll, they'll start to say things like there's a reason a lot of red gets used, right? Red red is a very visual color. It's, it's an important color to us as humans um, in a lot of different ways. It, red means warning. Red means bad. Red means maybe good. I love red, right? But red means like, yo, pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that gets, it's this constant kind of feed forward system where the more red you see, now you're seeing it everywhere and it just reconfirms your world, right? It, it proves it's, it's when you go like on Twitter or you go into YouTube or you go on Reddit and you find that group that's like, oh, this is the way the world works. Did you know this is the way the world works? And if you get in that bubble, you'll start saying like, oh yeah, I, a lot of people have been telling me this is the way that the world works. And in reality, no, you're just, you're, you're in this little like bubble that's reconfirming right. your world and your brain starts processing it and thinking like, this is this is true because they, they just said that and they said it again. Um, news anchors do this. If you ever watch the news, you'll say, People have been talking about blah, blah, blah. I'm now going to talk about blah, blah, blah. And oh my gosh, more people are talking about blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you literally just created a bias. Like we watched you do it. Um, and, and you have to kind of watch out for that one, this kind of crafting of your own reality. Um, so right. that one is really intriguing to me. And it's, it's way easier to... Uh, create that initial bias than to unwind it later too, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those moments when you... Because then you have to think, again, we go down to the neuroscience level, you now have to tell these cells, hey, it's real. No, it's not. Right. And every time <laughs> it fires, you have to be like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Until yeah. it eventually... They right? have to separate. They have to, That signal has to be weakened. And so you have to find other ways of doing it. And that's why it is important to check yourself, to constantly go in and like... Hey, did I, was I growing up in a system that reinforced this? Is this is this not actually real? Like, push yourself out of that bubble. You you got to literally train your brain, and it is hard because on a subconscious level, on on lower brain areas, that's been reinforced for years. Depending on what you've been doing, you have to actively train your brain to undo that. It's not just going to do it 
you know, imagine if like tomorrow you had to learn how to walk a new way. Right. right? Like just, right. just tomorrow. Hey, by the way, from now on, your feet can't come off the floor. Good luck with that. <laughs> like you'd have to train your brain for a really long time to not do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the same thing with biases. So now the hard question that we would okay. ask uh, yes. Now that we understand this bias, is how, with knowledge of this bias, could we use yeah. that in game design to create a more positive experience for a player, knowing that the brain has a tendency to do this thing? I, like, from my perspective, it feels like a cheat code, right? Like, we know if the brain does this, that we can sort of leverage mm -hmm. that shortcoming to help communicate, you know, elements of the game. Um like you said, you, you, you it, it it maybe helps, f f f like using the color red. If we make bad guys red, sure, we can lean into the fact that maybe the brain's going to reinforce the connection between red and bad guys. You know what I mean? Where in yep. the real world, we may not want to create that you know connection because uh, not everyone who wears red's bad guys. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's you can lean on it for teaching. Right. You could lean right. on that idea of, of kind of going through or you can use it to delight people and delighting people is when you throw a wrench into the confirmation bias and you suddenly mm -hmm. introduce a new concept like, oh, red equal bad, bad guy, except on this super cute heart character who's adorable. Um, and those moments can can offer that kind of like, wait, what? Um, moment in a game. So sometimes you can play on that. You can play on that bias as long as it works well with the game and it's not, you know, overly punishing. Right. Sometimes it can lead you down this path of like, oh, I did not see that coming or, oh, that's interesting or, oh, that's new. Huh. Um, you can use it to your advantage of like, here's the pattern, here's the pattern, here's the pattern. Just kidding! Um, and, and take it a different way. Um, sometimes that offers a new fun insight. Right. I Force mean, like a little a... bit of cognitive dissonance on them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right. I think there's an element of that to playing as the Arbiter in Halo 2, you know, personally, because you had like established these these guys are the bad guys, whatever. And when all I don't know, it was unexpected to me when I played it for the first time. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm the bad guys now, you know, and he's like kind of awesome <laughs> novel and it feels weird. And you're kind right. of like, what what is going on? Because you're undoing that like little pattern. You're introducing something new to it. Yeah, no, I agree. It was that. That's it's. I hadn't thought about that. The delighting. Well, Skyler, I'm gonna get in big trouble if you don't ask about your fallacy thing. Well, oh, I don't have to. I I, I had already abandoned it, but I can I can ask about it just because see what you think about Skyler, it. Skyler messaged me and he said he wanted me. He wanted to ask you about it. I'm apparently I don't want to let the guy that, down. Okay, fair. I have to like literally look up the name though because I keep forgetting. But I learned about a new logical fallacy the other day that I, like is pretty common sense one, but it just has the most insane name of any logical fallacy. It's the post hoc oh, ergo propter hoc fallacy are you familiar with that one i saw it shortened to post hoc fallacy, fallacy but the full name is that it's, it's just, just like latin for uh if event one followed event two then event uh the one that followed must have been caused by the first one i mean <laughs> correlation correlation and causation. right it's, it's directly related to that exactly yeah. yeah to me that's 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 what i think of there or, yeah. or like the hindsight bias yes. like, but whoever did the marketing for this fallacy did a very bad job on the on the naming but uh <laughs> They wanted to sound really smart. Yeah. Latin there. Um, which is funny. You know, random tangent. I studied Latin in, in undergrad and 
Latin sounds really cool until you sit down and you actually listen to what it's saying. Um, and it's like the, a very basic language sometimes. <laughs> um, but it was great for study because I was doing anatomy. I was pre-med at the time. Um, and so learning Latin was like a, a cheat code because um, I didn't have to memorize a bunch of like the medical charts. You'd be like, foramen magnum um, means big hole. Like I didn't have to learn like what that is. It's, it's the, you know, the hole in the back of your skull. Um, I could learn it or I could just be like the big hole. Um, much um, the, the thing with hindsight bias is, is again, it is to me, it feels almost related to confirmation bias is me being like, oh yes, I saw that pattern. Oh yes. I knew that that was happening because right. I did this. And in reality, you're like, no, you didn't. You, you didn't know. You didn't know that. Or people will go back and kind of put, we are pattern seekers, right? Like that's right. that's the thing that makes us human is we're obsessed with patterns. We put them this way or that way. We, we're communicating. This is this is us sharing a pattern. You know what I'm saying because we've learned language. We've learned a pattern. Um, and so trying to pull patterns out of stuff that, that aren't patterns is something we do all the time. We do it constantly. We'll look and be like, that went up and that went up. So clearly they're related. <laughs> You're like, right. well, not really. Like, there's tons of reasons why, like, two things go up. Like, I mean, if there's some crazy charts out there that I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like cheese consumption and car accidents. Like, oh, my God, we're dying from cheese. Right. Um, and and it, it's not. It's just a interesting coincidence. Right. Yeah, well, there's, like, yeah. the classic uh, simple example of this fallacy is, like, Oh, uh, everyone! Everyone is drinking water, and they're all dying. So drinking water, and they eventually die. So drinking water is the reason everyone dies. Right. Right. Well, and yeah. I'm just thinking in the Halo community, how many times does the community sort of, as a hive mind, seem to create this like conclusion like this, right? Where it's like, oh, Halo Five, uh, this happened because whatever, and the community sort of runs with it, like, and it almost gets established as a the community has come to a consensus that the reason why this particular map was bad or why this particular whatever is this, uh, you you know, and you as a studio, you're like, well, I guess we're going to have to just work with this because, you know, the, how do you unwind it? Yeah, you're talking about like just for yourself how difficult it is. Like how do you unwind a bias, especially given all like the challenges where like you can't really talk about everything yeah. you do, you know, NDAs and stuff. So anyway, that was a side no but i i feel for the bias the community real. yeah bias is real okay want to uh, ask your the, new your new one the new the yeah. new question so now this is the wrap up fun wrap up fun Let's do it. uh jesse so if you had to start your career over okay mm -hmm. you are not allowed to choose the same profession okay what profession would you choose what would you go to school for what path would you go oh, god so here's the thing. I think it's a fallacy. Let's do, let's do this. Oh, I think it's a fallacy that you can only have one career. Cause that's true. like, I, I have studied something different or did something different like every three to four years. Right. Um, so like I, it's hard for me to pick just one thing because I know that I wouldn't stick to just one thing that long. Um, so if anything, it would be, I need a space where I can. Yeah. Like an area of, right. Yeah. But like, again, going back to that, like Miss Frizzle thing, I think being a museum curator would be like, ah. mm. um, I would have so much fun because like museum curation, it's learning things. It's it's celebrating that in a space that's fun and safe and nice for other people to, to come together as a group. 
Um, there's a ton of design, a ton of design that goes mm. into museum curation. You know, it's not just, you, you can't just be like, yo, I found a bird, look at this bird, right? <laughs> yeah. like, no, there's there's lighting and is, is the text at the right level? And are you conveying information that's interesting that people want to even like learn about? What do you want them to take away from looking at that thing? Do you care about conservation? Do you care about telling a future story? What... Like there's so much beauty in that. Like I really wish there was more of those spaces, spaces where you had this creative environment that you could immerse yourself in that isn't just digital, that is an actual physical place that you can go and connect as a human, a living, breathing human um, and learn. So I think there is a part of me that's like, ooh, you know, that would be that would be really That'd fun. Be really cool. <laughs> oh, that's, that's an interesting answer. And I had never thought about there's that much that goes into um, yeah. museums yeah. <laughs> uh of course it makes sense in hindsight okay so you're super into music gotta I ask am. what's your favorite genre of music oh that's not answerable um <laughs> no okay okay well then let's let's answer it from maybe um sure. in, in a contextual kind of way if you okay. are at work and you're just yeah. killing it you're preparing this video that you're going to make you know this talk you're going to give this puppet show you're about to present sure and you want to listen to music while you do it what do you go for god again this is really hard um like and i i don't mean to be that person but i really am that person it's like so first of all do you know what frisian is no no okay. is that, mm. so frisian frisian do you know what asmr is yes yes, yes. okay ASMR, it's a real thing. Your brain gets like tinglys excited uh, when you hear certain sounds, right? Frisian is related to that. So there are certain auditory chords and compositions that give me like, woo, the tinglys, and I get goosebumps. Oh. Literally, I get a, a psychosomatic like response to this, this like signal. So I sometimes will have things that I listen to just because I know they're going to hit like, Oh, it's going to hit that chord and like i'm going to get that feeling and that helps energize me and i can like think through stuff or do you know it's me. like specific chords for you like or is it like like yeah when you okay. hit that g after yeah, that a minor like a seven, seven goosebumps, you're just done for like what? <laughs> i so it's really funny um there is a ben folds song called ascent of stan and it has this like piano solo in the middle of it where it has these huge crescendos. He's going like dun 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 and it's building and it's building and it's building and then all of a sudden it lands in this beautiful C chord at the top and it 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 goes from minor and it switches into major and it lands. And the moment it lands, it happens every time. I have a oh. frigid moment every single time. So sometimes I can predict like when it's gonna happen. I was a drum major in high school. Um, so like being in front of the band and kind of conducting and having those moments that I knew would land and being able to feel that, um, is super rewarding. So yes, there are certain pieces that, that will, mm. I know it's coming. <laughs> I, I'm curious. Uh, I, I love music games are like one of my favorite types of games. Yeah. And like one of my favorite ones that I just like constantly come back to is Sayonara Wild Hearts. Have you ever played it? I haven't, but I, I do know the game. But no, I haven't actually sat down. The one that I'm playing right now, which is on Game Pass. How is that oh, for a Oh, there's the advertise. Sorry, I didn't I did advertise the Game Pass game. My bad. My bad. That was well done. Yeah. The Arrow game. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's called the Arrow? Arrow, like A-E-E-R-O, I believe. Um, You are flying a spaceship and shooting things, but it's also a rhythm game. Oh. And then you have to move the spaceship on a track that aligns with the pitch of the note that you're listening uh, to. Rhythm so like, action rail shooter. 
Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like all of those things kind of put together. Um, huh. I love that. I'll have to um, check it out. Artful Escape. Yeah. Uh, I've just been playing it a bit. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I play like every That's Annapurna it. game that gets that released. Game. So. <laughs> I am a huge Annapurna fan. You gotta play Cyanar Wild Hearts then. That's Annapurna too. You yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah, you probably would love Cyanora. <laughs> I I, is, I played it too. This is great. I can tell you guys, Randy just texted me uh -huh. and said, I'm expecting a bunch of white papers from you now. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so sorry. See, I'm I'm just gonna you guys are gonna have to come in and do the copy uh, editing. That's for fine. Me. No problem. <laughs> yes, I'll take one for the team. I am. I sorry got told I by my high school IMF. English teacher that I should be an editor. So perfect. <laughs> yeah, you do. Skyler does a good job. I'll give him that one. Okay, so um, wait, nice. I'm not done with my two more contexts. Okay, okay so let's say you want to. First of all, thanks for frigging because I'm. Yeah. I, I judge games by my, the amount of frisian moments like where the music yeah. lines up with the gameplay like halo 2 when you're coming through that waterfall and it's like doo -doo -doo -doo, absolutely doo -doo -doo. Oh, absolutely it is but the same thing though i get goosebumps i didn't know that was a thing yeah, I'll, okay a thing. one of my favorite games is transistor mm, i love transistor mm, it's a, it's a super giant game anthony i don't know if you're familiar but same studio who made hades and bastion yeah yeah, the, I, yeah yeah i've uh I, the name rings a bell but i don't like i don't yeah. can't yeah the soundtrack I mean, to that game is unbelievable it's a red-headed singer um, yeah. who has a giant sword and defeats things, um, and it's just gorgeous. Really, but I, really I beautiful. Love it. The music is incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, highly recommended. Yeah. Right on. Okay, so if you are now in the other another situation, let's say you want to unwind. Yeah. I, like the thing that I think of because I'm driving to work now is like you're driving home and you're maybe kind of tired and you want to listen, but you know, you're not commuting nowadays. I don't know. If you want to unwind and you were going to listen to music for it, what would it be? Ooh, that's another one that I kind of go all over the place. Um, I will listen to classical music. I am mm -hmm. kind of that uh, person. Me too. I like me too. Edward, Edward Greek. I listen to a lot of Edward mm. Greek. It's just very soft. It's very enjoyable. Um, and so I like that. Um, geez, I listen to a lot of jazz. Um, mm, my grandfather awesome. was a jazz musician. Um, he played saxophone. And mm. so I, I do listen to a lot of, of jazz. Billie Holiday is probably one of my favorite singers. Nat King Cole. Um, kind of listening to some of that going all over. But like, honestly, it's, I don't know. I've listened to Gregorian chants because I'm like, whoa, let's <laughs> get into it. It's, yeah. it's, it's that kind of day. Or like, you know, there's there is some like amazing music coming out of North Africa right now that I will like dig into uh, that. Something I can Google later. Or... Good stuff. Off the top of my head, I'm like trying to go through my Rolodex in, in Spotify right now. Do you now, have a but, North uh, African uh, artist that would be cool to check out? He has a playlist. I'll have to look it up. I'll have to okay. send it to you guys. There. I, I would love to see it too. We, yeah. I like legitimately yeah. would be interested. Yeah, I play I play jazz saxophone as well actually. So that's yeah, funny. nice. I, yeah, jazz is my thing for sure. Well, one of them, but I have two radio stations pr programmed on like FM one, FM two, like, yeah. and it's just just the same two, and it's the jazz one and the classical one, and I just like That's switch between, I have so I just like spam seek. And <laughs> anyway, um, okay, then final one. Let's say you want to get hyped, like maybe it's for exercising or something like that, and you want to listen to some music. What do you? What do you? What do you go for? That also will go all over the place, like straight up. <laughs> And this, this is why it's such a weird question. Um, I like to lift. I haven't been lifting lately, but I okay. have a lifting uh, thing in, a, in my garage. We, we kind of have, have a rack. I have all that set up. 
Okay. So like, sometimes it's death metal. Let's go. Right yeah. Um, Favorite death metal band? If you had yeah. to say one, I know that's not fair, really. No, I'm not going to do that. That's a trap. I'm not walking. Okay, into fine. Okay. okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, uh, and then, like sometimes, like yes, I have to acknowledge that uh, my age and and where I'm from, but I I have a soft spot in, in my heart for for Ludacris because. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because I interviewed him when I was in college. He was doing a concert in Ann Arbor, um, and he was so nice and polite, and he bought me ice cream, and it was a good day. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. So, like, sometimes sometimes I just have to do that. Like, I'll, I'll kind of go all over the place um, with that. But, yeah, this is remarkably hard. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like, ask me more neuroscience questions. That's <laughs> yeah. oh, no, we're the, we're the, the, the fun tough. part now. The fun part. Uh, my, my, our, my next question is a, is a favorite question as well. Um, these are my, like, two favorite questions to ask people when I meet them because I feel mm-hmm. like – from these questions, I can glean a lot about of a person, even though they're very simple questions. So first of all, okay. what's your favorite food or genre of food? Genre of food. Okay. So Julia Child was an amazing human being. Um, and I do, I love French food. I, okay. I really do like French food. Um, Is there like so a I, dish I, you really enjoy? Um, I do a lot of coco vin and okay. I do. Is so I, good. I, there is something about roasting a chicken like on a Sunday and I, I grow a lot of herbs in my garden and I, I have, um, I do a lot of cooking at home. Um, so like rosemary chicken, like a whole chicken roasting a whole chicken and like putting more butter than you can possibly imagine. Um, and seasoning it and cooking it like just right. There's something just very familial and warm about that. And I, I love that a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do a lot of French cooking awesome. and I, I love it. I'll tell you, last time I was at Anthony's house, his wife made us a roast, a roast like whole chicken dish. That was oh, amazing. True, it was so good. So, um, and my wife's been super into macarons. And she's, oh. she's killing them too. That, oh, yeah. You brought good. some to work. They were good. Um, yeah. Okay. Next question. And you sort of okay. alluded to one that might be an option for this, but we'll see. Uh, your favorite animal? I mean, this is tough because it's between two. That's fine. My list is like four. So. Everyone who knows me knows it's between these two. I really like foxes. Okay. I Red I, I have something to do with it, I was assuming. <laughs> I, yes. So I had a fox oboe when I was a student for oboe. What? I Bernard oboe. Um, I, I, I used to grow up, I, I'm from New York, um, but not like the cool part of New York, the like other city, Buffalo, what? <laughs> oh, my dad's from Buffalo. <laughs> Dude, everyone knows like one person from Buffalo and they all talk like me. Um, and, and, um, yeah, we're big talkers. Uh, there, I grew up in like, um, it's really interesting place. It's called a tiny little town called Gowanda, hmm. which is in Zora Valley. Um, so it's like this giant valley, gorgeous waterfalls, all this stuff that's kind of around. But there was a fox that that was in our backyard all the time oh, um, that would come cool. and visit. And so I love foxes. And then, yeah, bats. I yeah. love bats. <laughs> I love them. They come in so many shapes and sizes. They are the most diverse, one of the most diverse mammals on the planet. There are more species of bat um, out there and they can fly. There are tiny little bumblebee bats. They're like these little things like this big and they live really? inside leaves. They're so cute. Or then flying fox bats, which are like That's gigantic. Big boy. Yeah. 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 Have you seen so, one in real life, a flying I fox? Have. I have. Like in the wild? Uh not in the wild. Okay. No. But well, after- wow. 
Which, yeah. d- do we have a flying fox at our zoo, Skyler? No, right? Mm-mm. I don't think so. Nope. Denver Zoo is cool, but I don't think we have a I flying fox. Do. I haven't been in a while, though, so who knows? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Right on. That's awesome. Yes. Okay, great. Those are very good answers. I appreciate it. Sky- yeah, Skyler says that he can tell if a person is trustworthy by the answers <laughs> to those questions. If you haven't have. spent some time in your life thinking about your fa- food or animals, I feel like you've you've True. wasted time and you, you need to you need to get on that immediately. <laughs> so here's are you a food purist or do you like fusion food? I, because that I, seems to be I'm, my like caliber. I'm down for some fusion food. If I'm like eating a dish, I would like to eat the most authentic version of it possible first. And then yeah. like explore variations, but like if I'm and if I'm cooking a dish, I try and cook it as authentically as possible first before exploring variations. But I'm totally down for like fusion after after experiencing the like traditional version. I like fusion, and I can totally get into that, like that that kind of mix. But I don't like gimmicky food. I'm like mm. an anti-gimmicky food. So if I see something that's like, oh yes, we make everything on like cloud, everything are tiny spheres, and no matter what yeah. it is, it is a tiny I'm sphere. Kind of like- pass <laughs> um i don't yeah, know I, I just like eat things that are in front of me i'm not sure i guess i i guess anthony I'm... just eats food it's okay anthony oh, has kind of bad answers for both the favorite food and the favorite animal question but i yeah, still love him so it's okay yeah, skyler skyler asked me these questions and i gave him one and i'm like i don't know how you came away with my answers and you felt good about it you know <laughs> it I, I knew you well enough we could we could let it let it slide <laughs> i guess <laughs> I don't know, yeah i'm not even sure what fusion food is so i'm like okay yeah if if somebody gave me a little ball like a what what are these what is it like a truffle that they were like it's a burger no you get that out of here like <laughs> give me give me the burger which relates to the next question yes, the actually. most the, the question we ask every guest and has been a classic kale koala question forever okay. yes so if you had to choose between one of these two foods, the other one ceases to exist, never exists again, and never existed before, so no one, no one ever even got to try it and experience it. So you can just like erase it from existing. Right, erase from yeah, existing. You like Thanos right. snap it away. Even worse than Thanos snap because it goes in the past. You know, <laughs> um, would you choose to keep around pizza or burgers? <laughs> I would keep pizza. Ah, oh, there it is. I, I kind of had a feeling because you made a pizza analogy earlier, and I was like, she's going to say pizza. I had to think about it. I had to think about it. Okay, uh, let's. Let, can we hear the reason yeah. for that? Yeah. So let's see. There's there's multiple data points that are feeding into this. Oh, First yeah. of all, yes. Yeah. So I I I'm from Buffalo, and pizza oh. and wings are like everyone gets pizza and wings. First of all, I didn't know that you could buy pizza without wings until I was like. <laughs> 12. <laughs> Anthony, I think you have to try this. Maybe pizza with wings would change your mind a bit. That sort of solves your problem with pizza, Anthony. You, you, need, to, you need to go get some wings. But like <laughs> Buffalo pizza is funny because it's like this weird combo of Detroit style pizza and New York style pizza. Like if you okay. if you if you travel east to west, right? Like the pizza gets chonkier as you go. Right. Um, <laughs> and like <laughs> Buffalo's like mid-chonk. Like we're we're like okay. right here. Um, but they're real big on like cup pepperoni, like the burnt charred. Okay. Like, I, I'm down for cup pepperoni. That's good. It's good. It's good stuff. I do like pizza. Also, you can do pizza in so many different ways. And I feel like okay. that's a big thing. And then the last one, if I have to get like nerdy science stuff, is that beef actually can, can drive up a lot of greenhouse emissions and right. 
it's not necessarily the best thing for the environment. Um, Pizza, so the I more environmentally of, conscious food. It kind of is in some weird way. Yeah. Um, and, and that, and I care about that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I care about. Mm. I mean, it still interest. does require some of the cattle industry, right? To make the cheese, but definitely less, less bad. Cause you prevent those. You can make all sorts of kinds of cheese, That's right? Like, like there's different options. So, so I think if I had to go through, I'd be like, Pizza's where it's at. Oh that's a that's a good thorough answer. It, it does though for what it's worth, if you're interested in our answer so far data set, the people uh -huh. who choose pizza are very often from the eastern part of the country. Yes. I believe that. Yeah. yeah. I can tell you right now, look, I love Seattle. I I love I love living here. I have <laughs> the pizza sucks in Seattle. Oh yeah. Pizza scene, guys. It's Could questionable. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, like I'll go and there's some places and I'm like, first of all, I'll get sticker shock because I'll go someplace and they're like, oh, yes, it's going to be $19.99 for this pizza. And I'm like, what? 20 bucks for a pizza? Like coming from Buffalo? Like that would be like, and it doesn't come with wings? Why are you wasting my time? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like weird stuff on my pizza. Don't get me wrong. But I I, I don't think it should cost that much. Um, kind of going back and forth. But yeah, I, I there's not as great of pizza. I'm used to like going to like... You know, it was always some like, I'm trying to think of a name of a pizza place that I used to go to in Buffalo. It was always some Italian name that you'd go and pick up like a box. And again, half the box is wings and half the box is pizza. Um, and it was delicious. I, I so might have good. a different opinion if I grew up with pizza. Go to Buffalo, Buffalo. Go get some pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, next time we take a trip to the East Coast, we're definitely going to be giving Anthony a lot of pizza to see if we can change his Yeah, mind. I mean, when we went to New York, my sister-in-law took us to some like local pizza yeah. places. And that's why I say like, based off of my experience there, you know, here in Colorado, I mean, what do we have? We have like some of the hipsters guys now Bojo's, are doing these like super like thin their own ones. Classic oh, that's one, true. But, mm -hmm. We have Bojo, which is a chonkier one to your point. Very like, chonky. And got dip chonky. your crust in honey kind of thing, it, whatever. Wait, what? Yeah, that's like their, that's like their invention <laughs> is like, they make this like thick, like crust that you're supposed to like dip in honey. Honey? Yeah. Yeah. What do they call it? The Rocky Mountain Pies or something? something like that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. If you ever come to Colorado, try it. I Like, it's fine. I don't think it's like anything. I mean, I've been to like Chicago and New York and had pizza there and they're definitely better than this. But like. Chicago is like lasagna. Yeah. Like, that's. Yeah. I'm a Wait, fan where? of some Chicago pizza. Deep dish pizza in Chicago. Oh, oh in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right on. Actually, for what it's worth, my wife's in chat and she said, I did. She said, I am a dummy because I did see a flying fox. We went to Australia in. Um, oh, you definitely saw him there. Yeah, we went in, I think, 2008. And yeah. Um, yeah, they were actually it was broad daylight. We were like walking through. It was next to the Sydney Harbor uh, Opera House. Uh, the yeah, one that's yeah. in the you're right. And they they just like flew out of the trees from one set of trees to the other. I was like, what the? F I was like, holy shit, it's huge. <laughs> have one as a pet i i would do it i would like wrap it in a little blanket <laughs> like it would be like i would carry like a small child like I, I it would just come with me everywhere right on and then i last question i have to ask do you have a favorite halo oh sure oh god so you know this is a common question that people who work at halo i bet tend <laughs> for me it is do i go with like the hmm I do like infinite. I, I, I was like, <laughs> are she going to say infinite? Are we really doing this? Do you want to mention um, how it's on game pass too, so, really quick or no, no, <laughs> so I will be honest. And I know that this is a kind of cliche answer and y'all can just like, whatever. <laughs> I like the mechanics of halo two. And I like the story of halo four. 
Right on. So um, I, I I know that that's a common one. I know lots of folks do it. Halo 2 with that dual wielding and just the way that they introduce the mechanics and the way that, that like the whole flow goes through. Love that game. Um, but Halo 4, the storytelling. And I, I, love, I love that approach. And, and there's a lot of like... Um, really like deep emotional thought that I think like went mm-hmm. into some of the narrative there. And I really like that too. And I like to play both kinds of games, right? Like I like playing games that have really tight mechanics and, and kind of explore that. But I also like games that have, you know, what remains of Edith Finch. Like I loved that game. Um, and That's so one of my I like, favorite games of all time, by the way. So good. Yes. So good. Okay. Right on. No, I, yeah, I, I know the community for a while gave Halo 4 kind of a bad rap because it was kind of a deviation in some ways from previous installments, whatever. I've loved every Halo for different reasons. Like, I didn't necessarily love the 5's narrative that much, but I loved the multiplayer. 4, I loved its narrative. I actually had a lot of fun in the multiplayer. Didn't necessarily like the competitive play, which I like to do too. So it's like, you know, it's a mix between all of them. But I yeah, anyway, very, very cool answers. Who's your favorite character in Halo? Ooh. This is the surprise Halo and Halo number a, two it, section of the podcast. If it's an extended lore person too, you know, from the Joe Staten book. Anthony reads read, the books, in. just so you know. He's, I read he's the books, in. He's you know? got the, the I love book it. lore. I, I this one's funny. Um I like Halsey. I'm gonna be honest. Because oh. Halsey's complex. And I like complex characters i like characters that like are they good are they bad are they meaning the best are they not right. like what what's going on there that and like yeah i i'm a i'm a female phd and doctor right. and i had to be in areas where i kind of had to prove that i knew what was going on and halsey's a good like i'm not screwing around kind of person who who knew what she wanted to do and so i i there is a part of me that that is drawn to Halsey that finds her interesting and really intriguing and wants to know more about her um, and, and understand her on a deep level. So yeah, I think, I think awesome. that's, that is an awesome answer. answer. That's yeah. a very cool answer. Yeah. Skylar, it's, it, I'll have to give Skylar the lowdown. Halsey's a, is, the, I mean, though she hasn't been super explored in the games yet. I'm like, but in the, she's hard to, she's hard to, explore in a game because she's so deep and you kind of almost have to make the whole game about Halsey in a way I I feel like to do it to everything though right no she touches woven into like almost anything and so it's it's funny because even when she's not featured she's still present like she's still there right like you can't you can't look at Cortana and not think of Halsey right Right. and so it's it's, it is that interesting um dynamic and, and character the dynamic of the whole like was the Spartan two like the right thing to do the kidnapping of kids or thing I think that's like a really the whole like universe of the Spartan twos like kind of sort of accepting their role in like their that's a such an interesting thread uh, that I I like you know reading about in the books whatever anyway awesome answer thank you for the answer awesome. i think skylar i, I, think I mean clearly jesse we could talk to you forever because we're having a great time and you said yourself you're a talker you like to have fun too but we will wrap it up here jesse if people want to follow you uh get some more info where can they find you probably the most active place i'm at is twitter uh at jesse birdie um that's me it's really me um kind of communicating on the other side um that's probably the place that i'm the most active right now there's a couple of other places i was kind of active you know i was on discord for a little bit i've kind of 
pulled back a little just because life gets busy, yo. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a nine-year-old now, so I have to like, there's Girl Scouts and there's all sorts of stuff. She started practicing her instrument. She picked violin, oh. uh, which is rough because... Getting oh, good. I'll tell you, I tried to learn violin during COVID. It is, uh, it's, I can't imagine how people learn that instrument. <laughs> Noises coming out, you know. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. she's, she's learning. I'm kind of going through her. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the best place to find me is usually on, on Twitter. And I love connecting with new people. So, um, yeah, reach out. Awesome. Right on. If you are listening to this podcast and you um, uh, have not been watching this, we stream this live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ENT. You can join us. We give stuff away. Oh my gosh, you guys don't, you're missing out on opportunity. And most of all, I think it's exciting here with the chat kind of interacting live while the conversation's going on. People have, people supported the pizza decision. I will tell you, Jesse. Uh, uh, you can also. Also, three for three. I mean, I, we, we love pizza. Pizza That's game. true. It's a very yes, real. That, was that a real thing? Were you there when they were sending in pizzas? Oh my god! It was so much pizza. It was so. It was so. We had to beg people to stop sending pizza because. How did so that much. start? It was that they the commute. Somebody at the community said like, if you launch MCC on Steam, I'll send free pizza or something. Or Is that PC, how that started? I think it was. It was on PC and. Yes, on PC, right. Yeah. Yeah. And Ske Sketch, he's so clever. He is so clever. He hinted at it by he was like eating pizza on stream. He took the pizza on stream, I remember. He's like, and Yeah, we're... there was just yeah, boxes and boxes of pizza. So um yes. They were like was, Halo is coming to Steam and and or whatever, and like uh, Sketch is pulling eating a pizza while the marketing guy's talking. <laughs> anyway okay so yes i'm sorry if if you are listening to this for more info about our studio ko koala entertainment.com there you have links to all of our social media get more info about agora our upcoming single player physics fps for pc and xbox um and uh you can get links to our previous episodes we mentioned the one with randy you can start where i where i hope i hey don't nobody can stop me from getting the whole Xbox UR team on I, here. One I will be happy about that. I, I like I, I I'm just like slowly more and more realizing every day that I wish I could be a user researcher instead of whatever the hell I'm doing now. So <laughs> there's always new people. It's always, always. a good time to, to try yeah, things exactly, out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right on. Thank you everybody for listening. Also check out the new website. Do you want to plug it like yes, one more you, time? No, you definitely, you definitely want to check out the new website. Yeah, if you missed the old one, you know my I, six cents a month AWS yeah, website. It was our, very our, good. Like, our static Hugo website. Then, well, hey, you missed it. The new one is great, fantastic. It's got info about Discord, about the idle game that you can play in our Discord that relates to our upcoming game. All kinds of goodness. It's all on our website, and it looks slick. Koalaentertainment.com. Yes, sir. All right, thank you again, Jesse, so much for coming thank on. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was super fun. Yeah. Yes, it, it was. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you guys hey, and later. Maybe after, maybe someday after Infinite comes out and you're, you you can talk a little bit of more about what happened during it, we could have you back on. I'm sure Anthony would love to round. hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. We'll see you.